That works. All right. It only took 5, 10, 15 years. reschedules to get here. Yeah, years. Bob. Also, thank you for this whiskey. First time trying. Blanton's. Anytime I can introduce a man to Blanton's. Good stuff. Uh, the stuff you got me drinking on here, this... Uh, you say you you said it was Joe Rogan stuff. That is Dana White. Dana White, Howler Head whiskey. He has got something figured out with the with the whiskey fruit mix. I didn't when you first said banana. I was like, I don't know about that. That's 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 pretty good stuff though. Kind of the same thing Justin said when he bought it for the Christmas party. It was, and anytime he buys something that he's trying, he always leaves it here. So I'm like, great. Always has something to share whenever we come over. So not a bad call. No, not at all. <clears throat> all right so let's let's get into this <clears throat> so basically both of your as far as employment you were pr- working at the prison Absolutely. and then now you're in the same field as me in dealership world how do you go from 10 years in prison to a dealership yeah pretty much i guess that would be the <laughs> the question like what i know there's not you can't go into everything because there's certain stuff you can't talk about probably from down there but i think i've cleared all my lawsuits i'm pretty sure i'm clear <laughs> legally <laughs> Um, I probably know more about it, what's still going on than I should that I probably can't talk about. But as far as my background in it, you know, my mom's got <clears throat> 30, Lord, she'll kill me for misquoting her, 38 years, I think, state service yeah. as, you know, clerical. And I was young. Um, I went to college originally to be a pharmacist, believe it or not. I, oh, was, wow. I was pre-pharmacy. And um, dropped out because I failed math 112 like five times. I'm terrible at math. So I told mom, you know, I dropped out one February. I was like, hey, mom, I need a job. Put me in an application. I got to go to work. I was 20 years old. <clears throat> I was working two jobs in fast food and didn't know what I was getting into. Yeah, just trying to figure out what you want to do in life or where you're going to go. And had no idea. But I knew that mom had told me it was a great career. They got good state benefits. I was thinking government job. Hey, man, I got, you know, something going for me. Yeah. And then I realized what a shithole it was. Um, <clears throat> Bibb County was the first thing that, you know, accepted my application. I think I, I, I submitted an application middle of January, end of January, 2009. Mm-hmm. Had a start date. You know, I went and took the physical test and had a start date to come to work of like March the 1st. You know, yeah. they, they, they were begging for people. So through the years, you know, I promoted. I thought that was going to be my career. I wanted to make warden one day, make, you know, work in Montgomery, whatever the, yeah. you know, aspirations are and corrections. Um, and as you go, man, it just becomes one big high school all over again, popularity contest and your clicks and, and this don't mistake the environment you work in. It's not easy on the body. You know, they, they told me, hey, man, you're going to be able to retire at 45 but your average life expectancy is going to be 55. You'll have about 10 years before you die there. So that was kind of from a, stress and just beat down of what you do. It was man. I can't tell you how many guys I watch, you know, Joe Johnson, um, Joe Johnson died. I don't think he'd even saw his 40th birthday and died of health issues. You know, wow. and, and he wasn't only one. He was <clears throat> that stuff. You know, I saw guys take medical retirements, guys, especially these guys that were doubling up in the military and corrections, both, um, man, it was rough on those guys. A lot of those guys wound up getting some kind of disability or some kind of, uh, I forget what they early medical retirement because of, you know, mixing those two. I mean, yeah, that's a high-stress life. But, I don't know, man, I just got to where I was a sergeant for almost six years, mm-hmm. and I was on top of the, what they call the state register. When, you you know, you go apply to be for a promotion, you go take a test, and you get put on a register. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> just because you're high up on the register doesn't necessarily mean you get promoted 
the state, when they get ready, like, like just say Bibb County, for instance, when they get ready to promote somebody, sergeant, lieutenant, whatever, they pull that register and there's going to be, okay, they can hire anybody down to this spot. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can overlook the number one guy every time if you want to. You don't have to hire. You don't have to promote him. It means nothing to be number one on the state register. Oh, wow. They can, you know, if they say, okay, you got to hire somebody from the top 75 guys, you can pick any one of those 75 guys. And that's how that good old boy system comes into play. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I got passed over for lieutenant enough, man. I got tired of it. I got tired of being blamed for the lieutenant. You know, they would promote somebody over me, mm-hmm. tell me to train them, and then blame me when they screwed up. Oh, wow. They want to write on, me man. up. Well, you know better, Parker. You know better. You know better. And, you know. Well, if I do, why didn't you put me in that position? Why am I not the lieutenant? Right. Which was, you know, that was something I was really proud of DJ for making lieutenant before he did separate his state service. That's, yeah. that's, that's a big accomplishment, man. And say what you want about me, man, but I never made it. He did. You know, yeah. I was super proud of him for that. Um, but it got to the point to where <clears throat> I decided I wanted to go outside the fence. I wanted to work something other than custody. I tried to get in the training department. Mm-hmm. I tried to get in the canine department. I was running with the canine on my off days. Um, there was a, there was a rare opening in our canine division here at Bib, which does not happen much. Yeah. Um, the captain over there retired. Everybody kind of promoted accordingly, and it left a spot open on the bottom of the ladder for uh, what they call assistant canine handler. Mm-hmm. So the spot of assistant canine handler is <clears throat> technically it's rated between officer and sergeant. Yeah. It's kind of in the middle there. Gotcha. So I was a sergeant at the time. Well, the state SOP said if you take a voluntary demotion, <clears throat> the state has has got to allow you to transfer to an institution of your choice as long as there's an opening. They can't they can't make a spot for you. So okay. if, so if you're a sergeant and you and you go to the state and you say, I want a voluntary de- I want to voluntarily demote back to officer mm-hmm. and I want to go to Donaldson or St. Clair or Hamilton work release, or wherever you want to go. Yeah. On paper, as long as that institution has an opening at the spot of correctional officer, they have to allow that. Yeah. So <clears throat> they they block me and they block me and they block me from taking the from from transferring out to the canine unit. So this is the prison their cells blocking you because they don't want to lose you or there's many theories about <clears throat> where exactly it comes from. Gotcha. But Yes, it starts at an institutional level. Yeah. Um, so I thought, you know what, man, I'm tired of playing with this. I'm gonna I put in for a voluntary demotion to the canine unit because technically they operate separately from the facility. Mm-hmm. They happen to be on site at Bibb County, but they're not part of Bibb County as the institution. Yeah. So I thought I got smart and said I'll take a voluntary demotion. I want to go to canine unit. I had the captain behind me. I had the lieutenants behind me. I had the other, you know, the canine handlers out there were behind me. They still blocked it. Montgomery directly denied my request for a voluntary demotion. Mm-hmm. So how that happens is either randomly the the commissioner over the state says, I don't want that to happen. Or the commissioner over the state gets a phone call from a warden that says, I don't want to lose this guy. I don't want him going out there. So then he says, okay, well, I'll just deny this request. And that was just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, man. Um, after that, I was just I just realized that it's not ever going to happen for me. It's not, state's not going to be the place for me. Yeah. So Donald actually was, 
he was working, he was lower ranking in Enterprise at the time, but he worked for the Enterprise on Skyline. Mm-hmm. So he had a lot of contacts in the automotive service field. He, he, you know, he was going all over getting the car service for Enterprise and yeah. going around yeah. making introductions at all the dealerships saying, hey, if we need you guys over here, we'd like to do something to establish a relationship, help your customers, help our, you know, expedite yeah, right. our cars, whatever. <clears throat> well, him and Jennifer, the service manager for Tuscaloosa Chevrolet, had a pretty good relationship. <clears throat> randomly enough one day she asks him do you know anybody that wants a job and he says well i got a buddy that's been trying to get out of doc for years he's you know he's a 10-year guy he's ready to get out he's ready to get out so um he called me told me um i called and got a hold of jennifer we set up an interview i remember showing up for the interview and now looking back on it i was overdressed i was wearing slacks button up you know, nice. I was dressed for a job interview, and <clears throat> and the dealership world is not, <laughs> not as professional as you would think when it comes to dress wise. I mean, you it's, know, it's not it's car not. salesmen to go the extra effort, but hey, right. I mean, those guys wear their their slacks and their vests and and whatever. But yeah, you know, I was thinking I was going in for a job interview. No, I'd have been just as well off in a pair of work pants and a polo. You know. Oh yeah. Um, but at the I remember at the end, end of the interview, I asked her. I said, "So when will I know if I have?" an opportunity to go to work here and she said oh if you want it you're hired i'm just i'm just making sure you want to leave what you're doing to come come, yeah because it's you know at the time i didn't know anything about it i didn't know what a high turnover rate there was in the automotive industry which especially in your position and when dj told me hey um parker's going I said, well, what's he going to be doing? Oh, he's helping the people to get their cars working. I was like, mm. I was like, well, he's he can talk to people. He's a people person. And I'd done that for the first part of my career in this business. And I was good at it. I just didn't like it. I, you know, you've always told me that you've worked several positions on the, on the service side. And I, I've always wondered how did you, you – so you started on the service. You started I, I started – no. I started changing oil. <laughs> okay. I was doing electrical work. <clears throat> I needed one more year. Then I could go take my journeyman's test. Was this at Premier? No, 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 no. This is, I was working for Jones Electric, and this was around 2000, <clears throat> 2009. I got la- laid off. 2008, 2009, the economy of shit. Right. So most of my work was renovation and new businesses being built. Okay. And so that's what we were doing. Yeah. So we got laid off, come back to work, and it got to a point. Every time we got laid off, all my savings I had put up because I'm 24, 25 at the time. I'm ready to get out of my parents' house. Yeah. That was my goal. By 25, be out. Be gone. Not come back. Not do like everybody does. Hey, be in a buddy. Get an apartment. You're there for a year. It doesn't work out. Y'all get mad at each other. You come back home. No, I wouldn't doing that. Are you telling I, my story there? <laughs> no. I swear it's, hey, a lot of my friends done the same thing. And I swear. Not knocking them, but it's just in my mindset. I was like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I can come up there and hang out with y'all and stay the night for the weekend and come back home. Yeah, because that's basically what it does, what it was for them. It's just a place to party and have fun with their party. friend. That's it. But anyway, <clears throat> the uh, guy I worked for and he was he was great. He he took care of me. I ain't got nothing bad to say about Chad Jones. He he done great. But he come to me that last time. Hey, uh, be ready to go back to work in a couple of weeks. I got a bunch of jobs lined up, and I just said, man, you know, I appreciate it, but respectfully. Let me draw my unemployment until I find something else. I can't keep doing this because I'm never going to get out of my parents' house. Because it's just one big cycle. Yeah, I'll be stuck. So, Jeff Daly, which happens to be Ben's cousin. Okay. Me and him have been friends for years since we were kids and all that. And he's like, hey, man, they need an oil changer up here. It pays $15 an hour flat rate. At Premier. Yeah. Okay. This is in 2010. I said, all right, go up there. Do the interview and everything worked out. And I was like, 
waiting and waiting. And the holdup was I had a reckless driving on my license. Okay. So I couldn't be insured to drive customers' vehicles or the dealerships. All right. So what happened was since I was just going to be changing oil, all they wanted to do, like they let me give them my insurance and me sign off on it, like me pulling them on the rack and off. Was on your insurance. Was on me if I messed something I up. I got you. I got so you. So I finally got the job. I've done that. And, dude, I, you know, a lot of people who may be too proud to do that job, but it got me to a point to where it wasn't just the oil change. It was tires. It ended up being brakes, services, whatever else. I was like, hey, I'm down for it. The only right. thing I can't do is internal trans, engine, or, you know, rear end stuff. Right. I probably could if I tried, but yeah. I've never had to do it. But for never. the most part, everything else, I've always been able to do but, dude, I was only working five days a week. I was off Wednesdays and Sundays. And I'd done Wednesday because I'd met Whitney a year after I started there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that was the day she had off from working school. Okay. So, but doing just five days a week, and, I mean, it was every two weeks. I was bringing home, like, $1,400, $1,500 every two weeks, changing all five days a week. Can't be mad about no, that. No, I wasn't. And then then they approached me actually sam sam was the advisor there okay sam was getting ready to leave he didn't want to do it anymore he was going to go try something else you've heard that before <laughs> no, all right not so he did and they were like <clears throat> it was well let me backtrack a little bit probably six four six months before sam left they needed help on the drive because it was so much work it wasn't uh, three advisors couldn't mm-hmm. handle it right so they approached me hey would you help on the service drive handle quick lane you can help train whoever we get to replace you. Because we only have one oil changer at this time. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm for it. You know, and they gave me a salary and then a commission. So right. I was like, cool, yeah, that works for me. And at the time, you know, you didn't have many bills. So that commission check I had when we we moved in here like a year after we met, paid my house note every month. And the other money was just for utilities and having fun. Right. But I'd done that, and then Sam was like, hey, I'm out. I think Shane needs a shot. So I did it, and I'd done it for a while, and I just, I just didn't like it. So you never worked as an advisor with Sam. You worked as an. Advisor. I was a junior advisor, if you call it anything, with Sam. Okay. So I like handled, I handled all the oil changes, all the quick services. You know, if they upsold something, I would dispatch it to a tech that didn't have nothing to do. Okay. If Sam went to lunch, hey, I got this customer in here handle this ticket because they're about to be finished with it. I got you. Done it for all of them. Well, when Sam left, they recommended me, and they they agreed. They was like, well, he works hard, and he, you know, does a good job. So I got yeah, and I was great with customers. Like my CSI was up here, and I I, I never forget it to this day. One of the main owners at uh, Premier was Ken Gallo, and he was the type of guy you could walk by him, and hey, Mr. Gallo, and he would keep walking. He was the type of guy that was like, I'm the boss, you know, I'm here, and I'm gonna let you know this. Everyone else is here. Yes. <clears throat> But at the same time, he would take care of you, but he didn't really let you know it. Right. You just knew it come from Premier. But it was him. Anyway, I got the first ever 100 score on CSI at Premier. Mm-hmm. He walks out there, and I see him coming towards my cubicle because we had, like, little drive-through things that they just slid and had little ACs on top of them, just three. Mm-hmm. Well, I see him walking towards me. I'm like, oh, shit, what the fuck's going <laughs> to happen? You know? What have I done? He walks up, and he puts that CSI score on my window, and it shows 100%. I was like, he's like, good job. He said, come here. He walked me to the cashier, wrote a voucher out and said, to give him $100. So I did the job and um, I just didn't like it, man. So 
so what happened after that was they brought in a guy named Jeff Pierce, and I trained him how to do CDK, the dealer system. He was used to rentals. Mm-hmm. So I trained him. They put me back as a junior advisor. And at that point, it was when uh, those recalls come out for this ignition and all that. And So I was handing all the recalls, most of the quick loop stuff, and one of the guys in parts was getting ready to retire. Okay. I was interested in parts, and me and the manager had a good relationship. And then the guy, Big Mike, always talk about, he was always my parts guy, who I went to to make sure shit got done. So what made you want to, what 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 sparked your initial interest in the parts counter? <clears throat> the main thing was, is because, I guess because Big Mike was so good and everybody respected him. They were like, I'm going to him because he gets it done. Right. And me and him used to talk a lot. Or, and still do. He, knew, he was like, man, I'd, I'd love to have some help back here. You okay. know. And not saying that the other guys weren't good. You know, they could do right. their job. But some people are just better at things than others. And, There's you know, a difference and, in having and a, guy a people person. job and yeah. the guy. So the manager and assistant manager in parts, they were like, they interviewed a couple guys. And I told them my interest in it. And they finally said, you know what? Give them a shot. And all the, And plus, they got me cheap. Because they just gave me a base salary. I think it was 55 a year. So, I don't know. Somewhere, maybe it was 60. I don't remember. Which you didn't know any better, but at the time, Yeah, it was 2013, early 2013. Right. So, I go back there before the guy retires. I start in the back, learn how to get everything in, learn how to, you know, ship cores back, do all that, the shipping and receiving, how to stop being, got to know where everything was in the department. Mm -hmm. Then they put me up front. The easy part was I knew cars. The hard part was learning the catalog and learning how to look all this shit up and where it was and learn Not group taking number. Not an hour to find this stuff. Oh, yeah. Right. So, and I got it, and then I was in the back. I was pretty much helping on phones, helping the front counter, helping the overflow. Mm-hmm. Then it got to where people were walking past one of the, uh, the shop counter when Mike was busy, bypassing the other guy and coming to me. Okay. The the other owner at Premier that stayed there, Bill Whitehead, kept noticing it, and he heard the text like, why don't they put Shane over here with Mike? We'd have no issues. Finally, one day, it gets swapped, and I come back from lunch, and they tell us, and that other dude was pissed, and rightfully so. And I was like, fuck, man. This is, you know, awkward. And he approached me about it and asked me, did I know? I said, no. I said, but respectfully, I came back here to do, I didn't come back here to take your job, but I didn't come back here to settle either. So take that as you will. I still believe I can do that job. So then I got over there and I'm never going to say this, um, but some people started coming to me over Mike and those, I think you're better than Mike. I'm never going to say that because Mike trained me and he's like a big brother to me. But, you know, it led to that. And then uh, the whole talk was, I got talked to by the fixed ops director and the owner. They were like, Hey, when Wayne goes, it's going to be you. And I was like, I really feel like it needs to be Mike. He's been here way longer than I have, you know. I'd been there 10 years when they first approached me, maybe nine. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, he's been here all this time, and he trained me. That's going to be really weird. I was like, make him the manager and make me assistant, and I'll help him in ways he didn't know how to do stuff, paperwork, whatever. And they had talked about it, and then here come the the buyout. That changed everything. And, yeah, step one come in. And I had left. I went to Edwards because I had really got burnt out up there because I got tired of being the only one that people were coming to. Mm-hmm. And just nothing was changing in the department. Yeah. And my manager was a great 
great person would help you any way he could but sometimes his management he didn't have the um it couldn't be straightforward and just tell people sometimes like hey you're not doing right you need to straighten up or yeah. what your issues were so that burned me out so i went to edwards i was like hey they called me forever i'll go up here and go and, you know i talked to y'all at that point too yeah. nothing come about so yeah. went up there they're a month maybe two months and step one's calling because when they come in and bought it out they were like hey what can we do to improve and multiple technicians and i'm thankful for them guys for doing that or what they said they were like get shane back so they reached out and they got my phone number and talked to me they made a pretty good offer and i couldn't turn it down so i went went back when they fully took over man it was just it was just all over the place you never knew what was going to happen you never knew from day to day if you were going to be in the same position and there was always talk of pay changes and it finally got to and we went through multiple managers with them within a year's time i was like you know what First time something comes available, I'm 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 getting out of there. I and go. I talked to Junior probably two, three times in person. You know, before I actually took the job. Well, finally, I talked to Sam. I was like, you know what? I'll come. I'll work on your counter. And I was going to take a pay cut, but I was just I want to be out of this shit. Right. I'm closer home. I have my weekends, and then the week before I'm supposed to come there, hey, uh, Paul's gone. That's what Sam told me. I was like, uh, okay. So he goes, I can't say anything, but we'll see you when you come in. And step one was steadily trying to get me to stay, and I finally just told him no. And this was on like a Tuesday mm-hmm. before I started y'all the next week. Right. Well, if that's the way it's going to be, you know, you can go. So I left out at like 1 o'clock or something on that Tuesday. Didn't call Sam because, of course, he'd want me there that Wednesday. <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm going home. I'm going to enjoy myself for a minute, you know. <clears throat> so I did that, and then I started with y'all, and here we are. Man, so the plan, so when you initially agreed to, to take the job, you didn't know it was going to be to be a parts manager. No. But you were okay being on the counter for... Yeah, I was going to take Jake's job. Did, did did you have an end goal at the time? Did you have an aspiration to eventually be the parts manager? Oh, yeah. Or were like, you just trying I, to get out of no, where you were at? I wanted to be a parts manager. Okay. Yeah. Like you, know, like you said, when you go into a job, you know, it's fine when you're in a position, and yeah, you're doing fine, but some people's okay settling for me. I'm... I like to move up. I, I always have a goal for myself, and that's part of, like, I've talked to you recently, my anxiety makes me that way. Like, yeah. I'm not going to settle. Right. That's why I'm doing this, and I keep going, hey, I'm not going to be Joe Rogan, but if I could <laughs> get a, people to listen and I look at people that's viewing, then that's awesome. And that's why I want to, like, I was like, you know, I ain't done it in a year, and I'm going to start this thing back up, and I'm going to do whatever I got to do. If I got to have the same people keep coming on, then fine, because – You'll never imagine how hard it is to get people to sit down and do this. It ain't just a schedule thing. It's just like, oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know about hearing my own voice. Yeah, it does suck because I didn't like hearing mine at the beginning. But, yeah, that's why. But, no, when when I went to uh, lunch, no, I went to dinner with them because I had to leave Premier that day. I remember. And meet them at Chapelli's and sat down and we just talked and – Junior pretty much wanted that night. He was like, are you coming? I said, yes, I'm coming. I've already told Sam. He goes, well, I need a handshake to know you're coming. And I get it because I had done talked to him three times. But it was nothing ever – we could never get to a agreement right. on what I wanted or what we were It's not do. like you ever said I'm coming and didn't. It just – I said I would like to. I want to. Right. But I could never say yes because there was just things I wanted different. 
All right, so when I sat down that night, Junior just asked me. He pretty much sat me down, and he wanted to quiz me on what I knew. Right. He was like, do you know about rim? I said, yeah, what do you know about collision league? What do you know about price match? and all, Or beat, bump the competition. I call it price match. That's what it was called before that. And we sat there, and he's like, so what do you want to do? So I want to be a parts manager. So I don't want to be on the counter forever. I was like, I don't want to do the same thing I've been doing my right. entire life, you know. I want to get to the end goal and be like, I did it. You know, and uh, he said, that's what I needed to hear. And he shook my hand, and I said, yes, I will be there on the 17th. I said, I've already informed them about it. I said, yes, they're trying to get me to stay. I was like, but. And another one of the end goals was in there. My wife, she Whitney looked at me and said, look, I'm just tired of you being in the way you are. You come home, you're not really here. You're just, your head's everywhere because of how that place is and the way it's going. You right. never know what's going on, and it makes you like a zombie or you're not here with us. And, and it sucked hearing that. And 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 the reason it was like that is because when I get mad, I can say stuff I don't need to say or I can just blow up. So I just kind of stuck in a zombie-like position where I'm just dead looking at the TV because I don't want to say something I don't need to say or blow up. I get it, man. I was, I got a lot like that towards the end of my time with Chevrolet. It wasn't, <clears throat> it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as it gets. And I guess coming from the prison mm-hmm. and some of the experiences that I had there, uh, you know, I've seen the worst of the worst, man. I've seen how badly mismanaged people can be i've seen how badly mismanaged a business can run and chevrolet's nothing like that man it's 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 nothing near that bad yeah but there was a lot of room for improvement in a lot of areas that we were talking about we were saying hey look let's 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 do this different let's do that different Mm -hmm. and it seemed like that no matter how many guys we had up there which i think when i left we had five advisors it just seemed like I was always, man, from 7 a.m. when I got there till 5.30 or 6 o'clock when I Stretched left. out thin. Wide open. No lunch. No breaks. It stretched thin. You know, like I said, it was, you know, we, we had to park our own cars. We had to go, you know, anything that had to be done. There was nobody else to help any of that no stuff. No porters, no anything. Eh, technically, there was, but there might as well not have been, man. I mean, if you, let the, if you were going to wait on a porter to park a car, you'd have been back out in the road, back out in buttermilk waiting on them to park some of those cars, you know? Jesus. So you had no choice but to get up and park them. So it, and it wasn't that I minded the work. I always had the mentality, if you're going to pay me for what I'm going to do, you'll never stop me. Yeah. I'm not going to take breaks because that's money out of my pocket. But it got to the point where you were almost being counterproductive. You're wasting so much time doing something that's somebody else's job. You you know this, that, and the other. And it's and it's. I'm not gonna say I wasn't making good money, man. I, I was, but I well, felt money like, ain't it at the end of the day. You gotta have it, it, but it's not. That's it, man. Money's not always it. And <clears throat> I got a phone call, or actually, I got a text message one day from Sam, who I didn't know from Adam's house cat at the time. Yeah. And at the time, didn't know how he got my phone number. But it just, all he said was, um, he said, hey, I'm looking for a service advisor, and I hear you're one of the best in the area. And, you know, kind of like you said when you people were talking about how they were coming to you on the counter, you know you're valuable to a company. You know you're good at your job. But it always does something to you when somebody verbalizes. And oh, tells yeah, you it makes you feel how valuable you are, you know. Yeah. And it, and it was like a pat on the back. Like, yeah, right. my and, hard work is worth it. And don't mistake what I'm saying about Chevrolet. I don't feel like they weren't giving me a pat on the back. You know, Jennifer, 
Josh Crow, those guys, you know, uh, John, the shop foreman, those guys were great people, man. If, if any one of them called me right now and said, hey, we're having beers at the house, bring the wife and kids, come hang out. You're there. I'm there, man. If they were to offer me a job under the right circumstances, I'm not saying I wouldn't go work for any of those people ever again. It's not, I'm not bitter at them. I'm not mad at them. Yeah. It's just that it was a situation that was created that nobody was progressing anymore. Everybody and at the end of the stuck. day, you got to do what's best for you. Right. You know, and again, I felt like, yeah, I was making more money than any other advisor up there, but I felt like I was working, you know, twice as much as everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, we had, you know, Donald was up there at the time and Donald's a grinder, man. Donald's a put his feet on the ground grinder. I'm not saying Donald wasn't busting ass. He yeah. Always, he always was. But, <clears throat> you know, I was probably, I guess what sets me above most service riders is that I'm an efficient guy at my job. I'm yeah. very efficient at what I do. So I just felt like they weren't taking the little recommendations I was making. Hey, let's, let's tweak this. Let's change that. Let's put somebody here. Let's try this. No, we're not going to do that because our way works and it's always has worked. And this is how we've always done it. We're not going to change it. And I had told Jennifer and Josh both for years, man, I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not going to argue with you because you're my boss. I respect you, you know, in a position of authority. I respect you as my boss and I respected Josh as a part owner in Tuscaloosa Chevrolet and the GM. It's not my job to argue with you. Yeah. You put the policies in place, I'm going to do them until I get a belly full. And when I feel like that's it, I'm going to move on. I get it. You know, and that's what it got to. And Sam texted me and said, you know, this, this, and that. Come sit down with me. And looking back on it, I wish I would have negotiated a few things. But... You live and you learn. You live and you learn, man. That was my first time ever being really headhunted by anybody. So when he... And that's it happens in this industry a lot. It does. And partially, you know, part of it was that just I felt special that somebody wanted to come after me. Yeah. You know, but we went and sat down and had lunch with him and Junior. And they laid out a pay plan that I just thought it was everybody's pay plan. I just thought that's what it was because at Chevrolet, that's how it is. Every advisor makes 10% of labor. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. There's no you're senior, yeah. you, get a, you get a bump. Everybody makes the same thing. So I thought that's what it was at Barkley, and he was more selling me on the system. You know, this is the pay plan. This is what it is. This is what you're going to make. This is what you can make. These are your bonus incentives. Here's our numbers. Here's what kind of volume that we turn. Do with that what you will. I said, Okay. I went down the next day. I asked him if I could come by and walk to the dealership. Like I wanted, to, I kind of wanted to get you know to get a feel for how things oh, really yeah. get run. Same for me. So I come down there, man, and uh, Chris was <laughs> Chris was still an advisor at the time, and I guess he was the only one at work that day because Sam had to take over the counter for me and Chris to go. He, you know, I asked. I said, "Let me walk around and talk to Chris. I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to the guy who's on the front lines doing it." Yeah, exactly. So me and Chris walked around the shop. He had a cigarette, and it didn't feel as high strung. Anywhere near as high strong as Chevrolet did. It was definitely not. It's not anywhere near that. You know, we do we do good volume. We're efficient at Barkley. We do the most we can with what we've got, but we don't overstretch ourselves. Yes. You know And that's what I like. And there now. That was one big thing that I like, man. There was there was a guy that worked there that parked cars and for as goofy as he does and some of the random shit he does and how much I can't stand to watch him park cars, he parks cars. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So I was like, hey, so y'all actually do have a guy that parks cars? He said, yeah, we don't leave the counter. We don't. You know, Chevrolet had those little cubicles out there on the drive line. You had to walk out on the blacktop and stand out there. And, man, you get in a a rush, and it's a a 10, 12, 15-car rush. You'll be standing out there on the blacktop for 45 minutes in July riding cars. You know, because you had those on mobile tablets you took with you. Mm -hmm. Barkley, you know, you walk out here in a covered 
climate controlled drive lane, you plug a stick into the OBD port, it sends all the information to the car. Like, hey man, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the lobby was all right there attached to the, I didn't have to walk across that porch and into the lobby to go find customers. It just seemed like a lot better system. Man. It seemed like they were doing a lot of the stuff I had asked to try to do at Chevrolet. At Chevrolet. A lot of the recommendations I had made that got shot down is how they were doing things at Barclay. So, I mean, part of it was definitely a timing thing. They came to me at the right time. Yeah. I was burnt out. I was at the end of my rope when I was frustrated. They definitely hit me at the right time. But at the, at the end of the day, do I regret leaving? No. Not even no. a little bit. You know? I, I, and I don't regret leaving up there. They, the only thing, and because it was, it was kind of tore apart. My department was gone. I was the only original left mm-hmm. in parts. And the the main thing about Premier that I'll say, man, and they took care of us at the end of the day. Right. You know, but the one thing I'll say about Premier when it was Premier, because you heard me talk about it a lot yeah. before I come up there, I never felt like I was at work. I felt like we were doing what me and you were doing right now, and people was coming asking me for help doing stuff around the house or you're hanging out with your buddies. That was the best part about working there. All the people, we, every freaking department got along other than sales. Sales is just different. (laughs) And there's good salesmen out there. And you know, any of y'all that's listening, you know, the guys that I like or deal with, but for the most part, a lot of them guys I see in sales are people that's failed at everything else that they tried. And this is their last option. It's crazy how that works out sometimes, man. You know, I still have people that come to me that either think I still work at Chevy or they know I don't, but they know I have connections over there and they'll ask me about going and buying a car. And there's still, there's more guys over there that I would recommend to go to than I would say to stay away from. Oh, yeah. You know, I had a, I had a buddy call me a week or two ago. He was like, hey, I'm looking at buying a truck from Chevrolet. Who would you use? And I gave him, you know, three or four names of guys that, that yeah. I know are still over there. And those, they, you know, those are great guys. But like you said, salesmen are just a different breed, man. It is like my my. If I had Michael Williams was a salesman, but now he's in finance at Premier. Mm-hmm. Took that's who I bought my Yukon and the Equinox from, and all that. I wouldn't mm-hmm. use anybody else. And and finance wise, he always made sure to get me a good rate and everything else. One before him, and he was a sales manager. Up there, his name's Jonathan Jordan. He's like one of the best I've ever seen in what they do. He's a great salesman. Then he he done finance. He's done management. And I, I don't know what he is at Edwards 280, some type of sales manager up there, but I've never seen that kind of clientele. So many people knew him. And, like, when he finally left Premier, him and the owner had got into it. Mm-hmm. So he just was like, screw it. I'm out. When he left and everybody's like, oh, you know, Jonathan's gone. And everybody was kind of shocked because he was the guy to take over Premier. Yeah. Once the other owner was gone. And uh, once he left, I was everybody was bummed. They were like, hey, man. We're still going to sell cars and all that. And they did, but nothing like they did when he was there. And I'm like, he made a difference whether you want to admit it or not. That's some top-notch tequila right there, sir. <laughs> I, I can tell you that. I'm going to see what you're talking about. It's frozen enough. I don't need to get up and get ice. Oh, yeah. I always, like, my bourbon, room temperature, my tequila, I love it. I love it I'm cold, saying, man. If I'm going to drink tequila, I want, it, I want it cold. I don't have to pour it over ice. All right, so we're done with the work conversation because we see each other at work. And, you know, like you said, like people saying, coming to you and it makes you feel validated in what you do. The owner of Premier still texts me all the time, especially through the holidays. Really? You were one of the ones for Premier. You were one of the uh, foundations of that place. And yeah. that makes me feel good. And since I've been with y'all, you've even come to me like, hey, dude, how do you do this? No doubt. It, it, it may, you know. 
I knew what and I was going after. Hey, man, I was helping chase you for the year. Yeah, a long like, time. Yeah. I've been chasing you since I was still at Chevrolet. I knew how valuable you were. <laughs> well, you don't know until you work and see it. You know, know. Say, and I heard you were good. And, and yes, you Shh. and one other guy I work with, as far as advisors, saying, like, he's in a good spot where he is now, but he left Premier also mm-hmm. because he was the same way I was. His wife is like, you're just a whole other person yeah. now. So, but he's got a great gig where he's at, but if it wouldn't have worked out, and Junior was asking me, like, hey, you know any advisors? I didn't recommend that you and him up there would be a fucking tag team, son. <laughs> wouldn't need you. nothing else. No, y'all would be road warriors up there. Well, um, I can't say I get any kind of validation out of my previous place. They don't much call me anymore, man. They don't uh, They don't much care for me. <laughs> well, for out, those- of the, out of the big – well, he was the main big dog. But, yeah, he, he messages me all the time, man, and it, it feels good. And I still message – like, I messaged my manager, called him. When he retired, because I tried to stay at Premier or Step One, whatever, yeah. till he retired. But the thing with Barkley come along, and he had one more month left. I said, Wayne, I'm I'm sorry. I know I was going to stay with you, but I've got to take this because I don't want to stay here and don't want to pass it up over yeah. a month. And he he was cool with it, but I I called him when he retired to let him know thank you for letting me in this. I wouldn't have had to, I wouldn't be where I am right now without y'all because y'all gave me the opportunity to get in this part of the dealership world. So you know. Well, full disclaimer, that is some damn good tequila. Yes. Full disclaimer for those of you who may be listening and, ha- and know zero about my backstory. When I left Tuscaloosa Chevrolet for the world of Barclay, I brought, I don't know, half the service department with me. Yeah. <laughs> well, that goes a long way, too. Well, you know, Sam come in and told me one day, he was like, listen, you can't bring any more people from Chevrolet. I said, why are we getting unprofessional with this he said no we're worried that if you leave we'll lose half our shop (laughs) (laughs) but you know what's crazy people don't know and i'm not gonna put anybody on front street there were several other guys up there who were sniffing up you know sniffing around very close to leaving chevrolet i know several of those guys that leveraged some raises out of us making an offer up there yeah and you know we got a lot but we were close to getting a lot more yeah from them and it's not you know jennifer texted me one of the, I, I was actually messaging one of the parts guys up there um before you took the job for barkley you actually know the only other uh, the, the the main go-to parts guy up there i was texting him said hey man we, we got an opening up here on the counter we got a guy he's not gonna make it we need another parts guy i said are you interested and he said yeah sure Is absolutely Scott? yeah yeah so man it wasn't 30 seconds after I finished texting Scott about come by and talk to us about working down here. Jennifer was texting me, leave my employees the hell alone. <laughs> I said, Jennifer, I'm not, I'm not trying to poach employees. I said, my bosses are asking me if, you know, that we, we have a job opening. Do I know anybody that'd be good for it? I'm giving some names. Well, I'll say this right now. Service at Premier or Step 1 Chevrolet, I wouldn't mess with. Like, I'd love to see them guys come. But... Krista is a good friend, and she is a hard worker, and she done a lot of stuff she didn't have to do in her position before she got service manager. Okay. And I wouldn't try and take anything from her. Yeah. Because she's as hard-nosed as they come. She's not going to take the easy way out. If you tell her, like, oh, well, you, you're not climbing 10 feet. You're climbing 15. She's going to look at you and say, fuck you. I can do it. But on the part side, 
My two girls that were in there, Candy and Lucy, I will take Give them me half in a, a fucking heartbeat. <laughs> Give me half a chance. Yeah, like, I'm sorry if I take y'all's sports department, but them two were fucking rock stars for me when they worked with me. Well, that's kind of how I am. It's not that I would slight Chevrolet. It's not that I would ever go do anything to hurt Chevrolet. Chevy was good to me, man. You know, they got me out of the environment of the prison. They gave me a shot to get into the automotive industry with no experience, which yeah. a lot of dealerships won't hire advisors with no experience. So they took me in, they trained me, man. They were good to me. They, they gave me bonuses, you know, if I ever needed. There was never a day went by I felt like I couldn't go to Jennifer or Josh or John or even Donnie Crow, the owner of of Chevrolet, and tell them I needed something, and they wouldn't bend over backwards to make it happen for me, you know. Yeah. It was nothing like that. It's just that I felt like not only did we have a need where I was, I never offered anybody I never offered my bosses a name of anybody to go after that I didn't feel like would have been making a good career move. you know. And, and as far as I know, none of the guys that work for Barkley that came from Chevrolet regret what they did. Yeah. You know, uh, Cam was making 12 bucks an hour in the in the service bay. Cam's a good dude. Right. Cam was a damn good worker. Uh, you know, I, and, and anybody that knows Cam knows the value he, he would bring anywhere he worked. Mm-hmm. So I texted Cam when I found out what the oil changers made at, at a – Barkley, man, Chevy was paying them 11 or 12 bucks an hour, and Barkley's pays, you know, 15 plus some kind of flat rate. I don't know, they get some, some kind of commission yeah. for a car or something. That's what it should be. I was like, man, that's a hell of a raise for Cam. I texted Cam, would you be, re-? man, Cam was coming down that day. Well, I can tell you now, with it being family owned, it makes a huge difference. It does. It does. And, and, and I'm thankful to be working for a family owned, you know, regardless of the ups and downs you can have in it, it's way better to work for family owned than it is for a corporate. Oh, any day of the week, because if corporate has an issue with you, but they just cut ties before. Since I've been at Barkley the first couple of months over there, I've had Edwards and Hendricks contact me and they're like, Hey man, you happy? <laughs> and I mean, even on the work phone, I like one dude from a Hendrick, he was like, man, uh, it was actually the Bill Skelton guy that used to work at Barkley. Mm-hmm. He passed away. And Andy called and told me, because I've, I've dealt with Andy forever uh, since I've been in this. And uh, he was like, man, uh, you hear what? I said, yeah, I heard he passed away. And um, so he t- and uh, he goes, man, you want to come down here? I was like, dude, don't offer me a job on this line. They record this shit. You know, but not to mention I'm, it's I'm a not, little distasteful. In the yeah, I'm not going nowhere unless somebody offered a huge bag or something. But like Hendrick, dude, they work New Year's Day, my buddy. That works for the Chrysler store on the parts counter? No, fuck that. I don't care what kind of money you offer me. I'm not, Being here, way more important. Okay, you, you, you can't put a price and, on And, you know, I took a price or pay cut coming and being there now, but, I mean, you can see, we're not hurting for anything. Right, you're still yeah. where you want to be. Yeah, so, fuck Man, it. I was, that, was, that was something that I had to get used to. That was one of the few benefits of the state was the off time, because working a continental schedule, you know, you were off half the year. You were literally off half the year. Because you were, <clears throat> one week you would work Monday, Tuesday, off Wednesday, Thursday, work Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Well, the next week it was flipped and you only yeah. worked Wednesday and Thursday. So you averaged working seven out of every 14 days. So to go from that. But that being said, if one of those days was Christmas Day, tough shit. Yeah, you were there. Prison don't close. Yeah. So for them to tell me, hey, man, you can come to a job working Monday through Friday. It's five days a week, but you get every weekend off. And... We get five major holidays a year. I was like, okay, well, that's not so bad. I had to get used to working five-day work weeks. Yeah. took a long time to adjust to that. All right, we're going to switch gears. So you've listened to the show. <clears throat> Thank you for supporting it as much as you did when it first got started. I really appreciate it because, <laughs> funny or not, when I come up to Barkley 
Cody looks at me and goes, dude, I've heard your voice before. <laughs> I'm like, the fuck does that mean? You know? And he was like, do you have a podcast? And that was one of the first times I was like, Yes, I do. But I literally went to the shop at Chevrolet when you started your podcast and was just picking people's phones up. And if they had a Spotify, I, hey, I, I appreciate it. Um, you want to break right quick? You got a piss? Yes. All right. So my man's got a piss. I'm not professional enough to where I want to do all this editing and stuff. So y'all are going to listen to me just kind of babble for a minute while he uses the bathroom. Shouldn't take long. No, I'm going to grab but, a couple cubes of ice for my next drink, too. That's cool. But I I will say I uh, it had been a year away from the show. I appreciate all you guys that um, listened to the episode with Wes and and the feedback. It's it's awesome to see being away from it for that amount of time. And you know I don't really have much of a advertisement other than my own social medias. And everybody still came and listened. It's it's been really cool. And it's nice to hear some people when they've messaged me and. Hey man, uh, when's the when's the next episode coming? Or are you still doing it? And <clears throat> so I'm glad to ha- uh, have all y'all still listening, definitely. And for anybody out there too that I've talked to, man, don't don't overthink this thing. I've had a lot of people before they come on to do it. That just man, I don't know what I would talk about. I don't want to hear my own voice. And every person that comes on and does it. They they enjoy it after they've done it and then after they have it's like a a relief and it's like man can we do it again and you know so don't overthink it man and if you if it's something to talk about trust me I can run my fucking mouth with the best of them so I can come up with something for you to talk about or I'll talk to you about something that I like and you just you just have to sit there and listen and you can give your feedback you know so. Who would have thought we'd get Shane's life story on this podcast? I don't remember anybody delving back into your past so. Yeah, no, not not too much. You know, it's uh, I don't mind talking about it. You know, any of it, but um, <clears throat> more or less, what I want to get into because you've listened to the show and I've even had you call me and go, I'm like so part so far into this episode and I'm yelling at the damn radio so I can you know debate with whatever y'all are talking about. So, do you want to go sports? Do you want to go wrestling? Do you want to go movies, what music? Mean, man? Sports is uh, wrestling is sports, man. What are you talking about? It is, but for for me, yes, it's a sport, but <laughs> when I was a kid watching wrestling, it was just big dudes beating the shit out of each other and then I become a Sean first Bret, uh, Bret Hart was my favorite because he was a smaller guy, and you see him beating, he come, you know, he get the hell beat out, and then he comes back, and he, uh, yeah, yeah, that's good moonshine, sir. That's not bad. But and then Shawn Michaels come around. He was the cool young dude, and got all the women. So I started. But as I got older, it's not just them beating each other up. They're telling a story. No doubt. If 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 it looks good in the ring, it's because both of them guys are in sync and they know what the fuck they're doing. There's so much more to it. And that's why I still watch it to this day because I appreciate it at a different aspect now to where when I was a kid. The storylines aren't near what they were back in the 90s with a, you know the geniuses like Vince Russo writing story. <laughs> I don't know why he looks sideways right there. Because um, <laughs> I think Vince Russo was good at what he'd done, but he also had somebody, Mon- Bruce Pritchard and Vince he was, were helping him. He was him. good to contribute to a storyline. Yeah. Giving, giving him control was a terrible Because they could go, all right, this is good, but 
let's try this with it. Let's and you saw how this. bad it went when he was by itself with God, WCW. He fucking ru- that's what killed bad. WCW. It was bad to me at the end of the that day. That was a dig- that was a big contributor to it. I will always lobby that giving a wrestler creative control was also a horrific idea. I get you got to do what you got to do. It was very great in the beginning, and I think a lot of people don't give him credit. But Scott Hall was one of the best minds of wrestling. I 100% But once he got to the point to where he just wasn't there anymore and he was just Uh, alcohol-driven, I think that led to – he's who got Sting to be the crow I was going to say, when I figured out, when I learned it through his backstory that he was the guy that actually came up with the crow Sting gimmick, that kind of started shining a light on what a bright mind he was in the wrestling world. And which, man, I don't know if you've ever heard – And never won a world title. That's crazy. He was always – you know, I think his run with the Outsiders was a big reason for that. I think WWF botched him. And then WCW turned around and botched him. I think he was one of the best Intercontinental Champions. Absolutely. He he fit the mold. He was, I, he's definitely top about, three. People talk about Honky Tonk Man and Ultimate Warrior, which Honky Tonk Man was underrated as an Intercontinental Champ. Warrior was trash. I don't like the Warrior. I'm not a Warrior fan. Like Later on in life when he got to be an inspirational speaker and stuff. Sure, great for him. Yeah, more respectable than what you did in wrestling. Man, even when he came back with the He was Goldberg before Goldberg. That is a very good analogy. That's a very good comparison. And nobody ever says that. But he runs to the ring, he hits the ropes, he tackles you, he picks you up, power presses you or whatever the hell they call that move, drops you, and that's it. I will say, to his credit, one of the toughest SOBs ever. He's one of the only guys I know to kick out of a pedigree. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And then I will say this, too. A lot of people have ups and, you know, their opinions about Hulk Hogan. But he is the only man to have two main events with both of those guys that couldn't fucking wrestle, but he told a great story with both of them. He did. And my big downfall with Hogan, man, was that the whole kick out of the finishing move, Hulk up, power slam, leg drop thing got played out. They went way too far with that. It worked. It did. He was one of those guys that couldn't. He, he, He stuck with the same gimmick for a long time. You know, when he got to be the nwo hollywood guy it worked out better for him because it was more or less he was cheating to win so you got to see something different that was definitely that that was a swerve that nobody saw coming nobody no, saw nobody. that would have been like john cena turning heel these days i don't think that even fully sums it up but that'd be a good comparison man about as close as you're gonna get yeah. my big issue with it is that if you ever go back and watch some of Hogan's Japan tapes. And I get Hogan's a big dude. People don't realize how big Hogan is. They oh, say Hogan was like 6'9 in his prime, right. dude, 300 like, something pounds. I was thinking, yeah, he was like 6'8, 6'9, 300 pounds, solid muscle. He was an agile guy back in the day, man. You go watch and you watch his tapes from Japan. Oh, New Japan, yeah. He's delivered inseguries <clears throat> and drop kicks, and, you know, he's doing, he's doing a lot of agile stuff for a big man. You, you could go watch uh, before Stone Cold had his neck screwed up. Yes. He was a lot more. And WCW as, as yeah, Stunning, Stunning Steve. Steve. He yeah. was very agile too, man. But He was. But, you know, with the Hogan thing, I felt like that he could have done a lot more to incorporate something into his gimmick because he had such a run in WWF. I mean, he had a 10-year run. He was the top guy. You can't do the same kick out of a finisher, Hulk up, power slam, leg drop for 10 years. It worked. And, I, and, and I'm not going to get off into conspiracy theories, but I believe it worked because of the whole Cold War America against oh, the yeah, world yeah, mentality the everybody had back in the 80s. You know, you it put did, him against that's the Saudi Arabia guy and you put him against this giant that nobody was supposed to beat. Everybody loves the all-American story. 
But it did get it got burnt out, and that's why he was doing movies and was like, "Hey, it's just not working anymore. Nobody wants to see me because everybody knows what I'm going to do." It's I mean, you can almost set your watch. So by his- I think that's what took him to go, "Hey, yeah, I'm going to turn heel." But he also saw the money. Yeah, Nash and um, Nash and Hall were making some good money. Well, you know, that was, and I don't know if you ever gone back and watched some of their documentaries, man. They talk All about they, <laughs> yes, yes, they they talk about how at the time, man, there were guys that were making seven figures for Vince, but they were working two hundred fifty, three hundred days a year to get it. And WCW come along, and Turner had money to burn. I mean, that 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 was no uh, secret. He was loaded, yeah. Right, and they were talking about making seven figures, working half the time, hundred days a year, hundred twenty five days. WCW a didn't do house shows. Right. I mean, you know how easy was that? I mean, who wouldn't take it? They would have taken the same money if they got hurt. Same check. Same check. Right. It was guaranteed, and then they were basically given the power to say. Hey, you got any buddies? Call them up. Tell them to come make seven figures. You know, and then they called Sean Waltman, and they started calling guys to come over. Um, and and part of that was because WWF botched those guys. I think if Vince does what they got to do and gives them a world title run, Hall never leaves. I think if they let Nash have a longer run, he never leaves because his big issue was them stripping the title off of him. Yeah. But he also needs to look. He won that title really fast. That was mine. It worked. I hate it. It did work. It, yeah, I don't see why he was ever champ at that time in yeah, the 90s. Was, but he was played out by then. I think Vince is a brilliant guy. Obviously, he wouldn't be where he is without it. But when Nash and Hall left, he got – and Sean and Brett were great. And they were two of my favorites to ever do it. You can't name a rival that, that, that is better than that, just hands down. No way. It's definitely, yeah. I mean, Rock and Stone Cold's there, too. You can debate it, but you yeah, can't just yeah, say, you, you know. As far as in-ring and them doing it, yeah, they had the Rock and... Two of the best. Yeah, but I think Vince got very lucky with the success that DX had, and then Stone Cold just come out of nowhere. That then you had the Rock run. come in, and everybody was on him. You had, like... What, four, five, maybe six superstars, like big legends that are Hall of Famers today, all, at the same all time. in their prime, and you're never going to strike it's like crazy. that again. It's crazy how I was, you know, because I'm sure you're aware that I am on a tear in my life of a couple of years of going back and on Peacock watching all this shit. Yeah, yeah. So as of right now, I'm I'm in the mid-2000. Um, I'm actually, I just, on the way over here, I started watching Backlash from 2000. And, Is that know, the one where... No, that was St. Valentine's Day. No, this is the one where DX um, Stone Cold comes back the SmackDown before Backlash and blows up the DX Express with the crane, drops the explosive charges on it, and blows the DX Express bus up. Yeah. So at this point, McMahon, Stephanie, and Triple H have just gotten together, ruined test life. You're welcome. Yes. Um, ruined test life, um, which was a huge scandal in itself. Um, yeah. They have Vince has come back, turned on the rock at WrestleMania, and he's become part of the like you know, the McMahon family is all back together with Triple H at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stone Cold's coming back off the uh, the neck injury, which you know, they staged the car wreck, yes, the the car running them down in the parking lot the back in, like, in November. So they haven't come out and said that it, that it was Rikishi yet in the storyline, but yes, um, he's coming back to be in the rock's corner at Backlash, and it's the rock against Triple H. With you know all the McMahons in his corner against 
the rock with Stone Cold in his corner. Yeah. And I've just been thinking, man, over like the last year, since about WrestleMania 99, when Shawn Michaels kind of had to drop out. You know, he dropped out after WrestleMania 98. Yep. Things got really stale after that. The Rock, Stone Cold, Mankind, The Big Show makes the, makes the switch in February of, 90, of 98, 99. For all the talent they've got on the roster, they're awfully lucky that Russo's fucking up WCW at that same time. Yeah. It's crazy how much talent was right there that they they were botching, man. It was still good TV. And, like, just going back and watching it now, I'm just like, they're fucking up so bad. They're fucking up so bad because you took the big show who came over from WCW as the giant, the one-man wrecking crew, and I felt like they should have carried that persona over into WWF instead of now you've got him in these one-on-one matches where he just happens to be a big guy. He's mm-hmm. not he's not physically imposing anymore. He's not dominant anymore. He's getting beat by Scotty Tuhati and Rikishi and shit. One-on-one matches, he can't win them. <clears throat> They say a lot of that was he wasn't taking care of himself, and that was Vince's way of punishing him and go, you need to. I, I don't believe in punishing people on screen. I think Vince was pretty big about it. Hey, I, I, I get it that you do stuff, and you got to do what you got to do to keep your business in line. And clearly he's doing something right. He's the only one left until AEW come along with Tony Khan's money. He's doing something right. But again, I maintain that if you go back 30 years ago and replay all this shit, it doesn't play out like that again. If you, if you do it 10 more times, it does not play out like that. If WCW does not bite themselves in the ass, shoot themselves in the foot, I don't think WWF is where it's at today. I think I think a big part of them succeeding in the whole Monday Night Wars and, thing was WCW's <clears throat> implosion on themselves. Yeah, and some of that comes to just too many people had control. And with Vince... Exactly. He, he's there every day. He owns, he's a one-stop shop. Absolutely. He's it, you know, so Absolutely. I think that was part of it, too. Absolutely. But, yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know, not taking nothing, because Shawn Michaels is my favorite of all time, but not taking nothing away from him, but I don't know what it was with him and Vince, like why he took care of Shawn the entire time he was gone. Like, the only other person that Vince is like that with, man, obviously Triple H, but... He married his daughter. Is the Undertaker? You know the Undertaker because, they, because I think he he felt a certain loyalty to Sean, and and they've hinted around it, added in some podcasts. Vince yeah. has never said it, but you know, in a time when WCW was reigning supreme and everybody was jumping ship, Sean and the Undertaker wouldn't. They yeah. didn't. They stay true. You go, you go back and you look at a lot of the guys. A lot of the guys we just named that were the reasons WWF made it were in WCW, including Triple H. Oh yeah, Paul Levesque came from WCW. Cactus Jack was in WCW. Well, Stunning uh, Steve. You know, even Nash and Hall were WCW before they were right. WWF for Razor. Exactly. And so when Sean wouldn't, because I guarantee you they were offering Shawn Michaels that same money. They did. They offered. They offered it to him, but he just, for whatever. Well, for one, when it finally come down to where, like, hey, we can get him. Let's get him. He was so fucked up on pills and stuff that where and Bischoff said, "I don't want that fucking headache." See, I don't think. I think they had the opportunity before, man, because if you remember the curtain call. Mm-hmm. Madison Square Garden, where the where the four guys after the match, you know, Hall, Nash, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels, they all take the big curtain call because Hall and Nash are leaving for yeah, WCW. Yeah, that was their last match. So, you know, <clears throat> if you look back at that time, 
That was a white-hot Shawn Michaels. And I believe WCW, if you're going to make a run at the guy, and you're already taking Hall and Nash, you've already taken Hogan, you've, 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 you've reacquired Ric Flair. They had recently reacquired Ric Flair. Why do you not go after Shawn Michaels? I, I believe they could have. I believe they probably tried. Because, I mean, at that point, again, he's the WCW, he's the reigning WWF heavyweight champ, which is the reason Vance couldn't touch him after the curtain call. You can't, you can't punish your, your top WWF, guy. you know, your, your top guy. I believe WCW made a big push there. I pro- they probably offered that guy millions a year to work 100 days a year, and for whatever reason, Sean wouldn't take it because he was homegrown WWF talent. He probably felt some sense of loyalty to Vince for, you know, being a homegrown and, and developed there in the WWF guy. Mm-hmm. And um, I think Vance was returning the favor in the late 90s when he got started getting injured and started, you know, the drug problem. I think Vance was returning the favor there. Probably. For all the friction there ever was between Sean and Vance, I think they liked each other on some level. I think there was a father-son thing there. Definitely, mm-hmm. you know, but going back to the... Well, and then, too, Vince even said even when he was at his worst and you would have to put up with a headache and argue with him, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, Sean did business. That He'd was done it. what he was supposed to do. In the ring, he made it happen, you know, and... But going back to WWF botching talent, you know, I felt like they really botched the Kane thing. I think they had lightning in a bottle with, you know, the greatest debut ever. Yeah, I don't know if you remember. Best story ever told, too. Best story ever told, man. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you remember the specifics. But you remember for about six months there, he was doing the whole coming out in the middle of other people's matches and dominating. Oh, yeah, and just know, killing people. Just killing four, five, six guys in the ring. Oh, it was intimidating as hell as a young kid watching that shit. You right, were nervous man, I was for those people. in that shit, man. I was, I was edge of my seat. Oh, my God. What's going on here? I can remember when Taker came back and finally was like, I'm going to fight Kane. And like when Kane blew up the flames and he walked through them. Man. I'm on the phone with one of my friends with Drew and we're like, holy <laughs> shit. Are you seeing this? He's fucking going to do it, you know. And man, I don't think we'll ever get that again. Well, I still find those moments a little bit when I watch wrestling. No doubt. Uh, when the Hardys came back to w, uh, WWE and for WrestleMania and mm-hmm. nobody knew because nobody knew that our hardcore fans knew the night before that. They had a ladder match with the Young Bucks at Ring of Honor. A hard ladder match. So nobody was like, oh, yeah, they're going to be... 24 it. hours later. Yeah. But there they are. And Man, I remember seeing that shit. It was just like, what the fuck? And, see, man, and seeing Cody come back at WrestleMania was pretty awesome. See, that's a little after CM my time. Punk? I'm not big with the Cody Rhodes, CM Punk thing. I, I don't... When I CM gonna, Punk just came back to WWE, when it was in... And, dude, hats off to Triple H. Because he done it just like Vince would do back in the day. Had the match. Everybody's like, all right, we're in Chicago. Match is over. They're playing it. The f- and you know how when the pay-per-view goes off, it pulls out and they mm-hmm. put the little thing in the bottom right-hand corner. I was like, this motherfucker's Thanks still doing the same us. thing as Vince. You know, <laughs> by that time, CM Punk's music hits and the camera zooms back in. I was like, you motherfucker. <laughs> you got, you got me. me. <laughs> but it, it was so fucking cool to see. But you don't you don't get that surprise effect in wrestling anymore. And a lot of it has right. to do with social media. Right. Too and many yeah, people talk. I understand that it's a totally different ballgame. But back in the late 90s, I mean, when they were botching talent like Kane, you know, that wasn't the story yet, man. If you're going to overplay a gimmick, stick with that. You know, yeah. within a year, Kane is some crazy ass dude that's chasing Tori around and he's talking. Yeah, and he's buddies with X Pac. I didn't like when he took the mask off either. <sighs> that's 
that well, really shit, killed man. that character to it me. It did, man. And even before that, you know, Kane was still an imposing guy. And I've heard so many talk, so many interviews where so many wrestlers talked about Kane being the strongest guy they've ever come across. You oh know, yeah, big Mark, shows. Mark Henry Cena. even said it. Damn those guys! Like Glenn Jacobs was one of the strongest guys they have come across. Uh, Mark Henry, I think, said that when somebody picked him up and he had no worries, it was Cena. It was Kane and it was Brock. He was like, didn't have to worry about it. And Big Show said the same thing. Didn't I've, have I've to always heard Brock say it was a botcher. Man. I've heard people talk about Brock hurting people, man. Yeah, and in his younger days, yeah. Because back then, Brock, didn't, he, he said it himself. He didn't want to be there, but it was a paycheck. Yeah. And his his later runs when he's gotten older, and and I don't think it's Brock. But when he works with smaller guys, he has some great fucking matches, man. And he'll never probably get the credit he deserves as a worker because Vince would always put him with big dudes. And it was just like big move after big move, same shit over yeah, and over. That, and it's like. I saw that WrestleMania waste. match he had with the big guy now. What's the big guy in WWE? Like, Omos. Yeah. I it was saw fucking that. That terrible. Was, that was a horrible match, man. But what you also don't have now is the guys you had back in the 90s that were overselling these big guys. And the one name that comes to mind is Shawn Michaels. Oh, best seller of all time. Come on, man. Him you and Rick. Right. You don't have Flair. You don't. Mm-mm. As much as I think Flair gets stagnant sometimes, his ability, his level of showmanship in the ring was unmatched. You know? That's why I think people give him greatest of all time more than anything. It wasn't about him, you know. The move said he only had like three or four moves. He'll say that himself, but his selling ability and telling the story. Right. When you think it, of Flair, it's hard to, you, the only offensive moves you think of are the chops in the corner and the figure four. Everything else you think of is his selling, his flipping over the turnbuckle when he gets Irish whipped and the big backdrop. The big backdrops, the going to the top rope and getting thrown out in the, in the middle of the ring by Sting and guys like that. Man, that was his bread and butter. He was mm-hmm. good at it. Even going back to the NWA and Dusty Rhodes, man, he was good at stuff like that. Dude, and as much as I love Sean, I don't think anybody was better than Brett when it comes to executing shit. Overall, on the I don't offensive think he, side, yeah. absolutely. When it comes yeah. to all-around performance in the ring, you couldn't beat Sean. Man. Oh, hell no. And it was on dis- it was on full display, the match against Hogan, the oversell match. Oh, Jesus. Come on, that man. So that guy is – that was hilarious to watch how much he out wrestled and it just his showmanship was so much higher than dude. My match. my favorites of in ring stuff with Sean though was when he won the belt at WrestleMania twelve and after that with uh, like when he dude you have a fucking 30, 40 minute match with Vader and make it interesting. <laughs> hey man, back up off Vader. Leo, no, Vader man. was a great big guy, but I'm just saying like for somebody his size to make somebody believe like this dude can do this. For thirty minutes, yeah, dude, was, absolutely, hey, absolutely. I and one one match I really wish I wish Sean would have been five years younger to see him and AJ Styles would have been amazing, man. I think one of the greatest matches of all times. Twenty years into his career, both of the WrestleMania matches with the Undertaker and Sean. Oh, dude, imagine, WrestleMania twenty five was so great. Imagine if they'd have had that match ten years earlier. Oh yeah, the Iron Man match with the Taker. You know. Well, uh, and you, but the thing is, though, you look back on him and Taker, the first ever Hell in the Cell. God, man. I, Taker's the one that fucked Sean's back up. Not on purpose when he threw him off the rope and Sean hit his back. On the casket. On the, the casket. Uh, that they one, had a yeah. lot of good matches, but 
I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was the story and just the timing of it, but WrestleMania 25 is hard to beat. Man, with with Sean coming out of the heavens, as you know, in San Antonio, yeah, it was fucking great. Man, man, when you talk about greatest matches of all time, you've got to bring. Moment, man, matter well, of fact, you had Mr. WrestleMania, the guy that always shines on the show, no, no matter doubt. where he's at on the show, no doubt. And then you got the undefeated streak. No doubt. And the presence of The Undertaker, I don't care how many fucking times he's come out there and how many times you've seen it, you don't fast forward that fucking entrance. As no. long as that motherfucker is, you're no. going to sit there and just watch him creep till he turns them lights on. It says something when you start talking about greatest matches of all time and every match you bring up has got Shawn Michaels in it. Whether it's the Iron Man match with Brett, the WrestleMania match with the Taker, the Ric Flair's the, last match. The, Shawn Michaels Iron Man match with Brett when he first won the belt is my favorite of all time. And Just bought the Funko Pop thing of it. And could absolutely watch all 60 minutes of that match. Oh, I watched that. Man, I can't tell you how many times. My grandmother would go, baby, I'm not coming down there and watching that, but I'll turn it on for you. Because I'd want her to sit there with me. <laughs> yeah. But I can't tell you how many times I watched no that doubt. match. No doubt, and that's why, just looking back on the fact, like I said, that you had all these guys on the roster at one time in the 90s, and the WWF could not take you know control of the Monday Night Wars, because you had WCW <clears throat> for about a year. I think WCW being live made it a lot different, too. I agree with that, and you know people talk about the Bosch. And there was them. good and bad to that, though. There was. People talk about you know the episode where Shivani reveals that Mick Foley is going to win the you know he's going to win the the that world title. That was fucking great when he won that. that absolutely right. That that actually that actually made more people turn into that episode to watch that. Yeah, they that. were killing their sales by doing that. But for about 6 months, man, WCW was white hot between NWO's, you know, unveiling to the Starcade match with Sting that was completely I don't know, me, that, that was a year worst match. fucking finish to such a big build up biggest build up in history period you can talk about the Andre Hogan build up you can talk about whatever no, fucking build up Sting, you want Sting to, told that, that story up, yeah. man Sting coming in as the Crow Sting not wrestling for over a year that was the he had that Kane Undertaker essence when he was there it's like you knew Sting back in the day you know when he was surfer Sting up uh, hitting the mic here but when he was surface staying you know people would hit him he would kind of beat his chest yeah. he was almost invincible somewhat but when he esque thing going yeah and then when he came back as that and when you hit him and he's just still staring at you with that blank stare it was just michael myers like it's right. like you the, can't kill this dude the baseball bat is the most anybody's ever associated one weapon with a wrestler i mean the next ones would probably be triple h and the sledgehammer yeah, and the, yeah the, hammer. the cactus jack and the barbed wire bat other than that i mean everybody's talking about Staying in the baseball bat. I guess you could say uh, Duggan in the two before, but it was more of a gimmick than he actually yeah, it was part used. Of the gimmick, yeah, no, no doubt. But you had the WCW botching so many things. It was like, man, and, and like I said, I've gone back recently and watched all this as an adult. 98, after the WrestleMania with Tyson Austin, after the 97 Starcade, Sting and Hogan, it was like, who could botch more shit in the next three years? And WCW ultimately won that botch off. Yeah, but if you're gonna overplay a gimmick, which WWF was terrible to do, like the Hogan thing, man, they should have let the Kane thing run for a while. That invincible, untouchable, intimidating Kane turned into this. You know, Tory was. Man, I was watching the other day. It was so awkward to watch. Like Tory was going and filing like sexual harassment on everybody every week, and Kane was wanting to beat him up, and then Kane was getting beat by like X Pac, and it was just a. I just remember thinking, like, who the fuck is writing this shit, dude? I I can remember. I watched one the other day, and I don't see how that... 
Well, part of it's because the world now is just offended about every fucking thing. But I remember when it was when Kurt Angle and Booker T had this little angle working. Mm-hmm. Kurt runs back there and he kicks Booker T's door in to his locker room back there. Booker's not there. It's his wife. Mm-hmm. And she's screaming like, get out of here and all that. And Kurt kind of just gives you a look like, oh, yeah. Finna make him hurt now. And slams the door. I'm like, how the fuck was this shit on TV? How was this allowed to happen? Yeah. How was that? Like, you know, <laughs> Vince is going to hell for some of this shit. But I was, I remember watching the, um, I think it was the Royal Rumble from 2000. That was, it was either that or No Way Out between Rumble and WrestleMania when the cat and, uh, Ivory, I think, had like their, some match in a bowl of. That was No Way Out. That's when Kitty showed her titties. And yeah, got, she actually shows her titties. After she got the fired match. after that. No. She didn't? No. She was still there? Yeah, that was that whole thing was prearranged. I went I saw an interview years later. That whole thing was prearranged. Like her boyfriend had decided like her or her, her husband had to sign off on that, which I don't think was the king yet. Um No, probably not. I don't think so. He had to like sign off on it. He agreed to it. If you go back and watch the footage, because that's actually just past where I was watching. That just happened not long ago. Sergeant Slaughter is right there. Like he covers her up immediately. Like she's exposed for maybe two seconds. Like that whole thing was pre-planned okay. and agreed upon. I'd have to go back and watch it because it's been since I was a kid when I saw it. So. Yeah, it was. They uh, they were downplaying the women's title at the time. Oh, um, it fucking sucked, man. And I mean, of course, as thirteen year old kid, yeah, I want to see Sable take her top off and everybody else. Yeah, great. <laughs> but when you go back and look at it as a wrestling fan, it's like. And that's why Sasha Banks is one of my favorites. Yeah, she's freaking gorgeous too. But she, when she showed up to WWE to start learning, mm-hmm. they're like, you know, is this your wrestling gear? She said, yeah. And they were like, we're gonna have to work on it. She's like, she was wearing like pants and stuff, and it's, yeah. she was a big Eddie Guerrero fan, so most of her stuff had his stuff on it. They were wanting to wear this other stuff. She's like. Look, I'm confident in my body, but at the same time, I'm a I'm a wrestler. I'm, I'm not, not here a diva. To sex, right? Yeah, and I think that's ultimately ultimately one reason why she left recently. And they made the women's t- tag team titles such a big thing before people won them. Mm-hmm. And her and Bailey had them, and they downplayed them at WrestleMania, man. And then that's then whenever the, her and Naomi won them, you would think a champion is going to be on fucking TV. Right. You know, and and they weren't, they didn't have any plans for them. It's just, I think then both of them walked out. And I think there's got a lot to do with it. And look, there's some really good women wrestlers like her. I mean, Charlotte Flair's awesome. Bailey's good. Uh, Becky Lynch is not bad. I think she's stiff in some areas, but she's got a great gimmick. But I. I think you do need to sell them, and I'm not just saying that because I got a daughter. But at the end of the day, is is you got to give them their spot. But I don't know that they're ever going to top, you know, the men. And it's it's athleticism more it than is, anything. It's not it's not a gender thing. People can say what they want, man. It is what it is. But you'll never have as entertaining of a show athletically with women as you will men. You can definitely still entertain. Well, I will man. say this. This past WrestleMania, the best match of the entire weekend was Rhea Ripley and uh, Charlotte Flair. But you got two once-in-a-lifetime women wrestlers, yeah. in my opinion, because they're they're taller than your natural one. You know, they're like 5'11", yeah. both of them, and they're good size, and they're both athletic. 
You're so, not going to get that a lot. Though. That's something I didn't really have when I was back into it because I stopped watching wrestling, man. Let's see. Austin made his turn in his deal with the devil with Vance and O two. One of the worst angles that was ever done. Then you had that WCW invasion that he led shortly after. Right around there is where I fell off watching it. Well, and two, everybody wanted that that WCW invasion. All the big guys were sitting at home with their fucking contracts. I ain't coming to do no show for you. I'm getting paid at the house for another year. Well, it was that, and Vince was. They said Vince was hell bent on punishing all those guys, especially if they had been with WWF at one point and went over to WCW. That uh, they, you know, I've heard interviews talk about those guys talk about how Vince was hell bent on punishing those guys. Um, that's why Jarrett wouldn't come back. Jarrett, Jarrett, and Sting refused yeah. because they knew they were going to be buried. You know, Booker T got buried. Um, he was the one that arguably made it. After the that's, merge. That's what kept Sting from coming for so long. And then I'm really glad Sting got to come to WWE and do that match with Triple H. It was cool to see DX and NWO out there together. years too late. But. It was too late. But my thing was, I don't give a fuck who Taker had a storyline with. We wanted Taker and Sting. I don't give a shit if they were older and either prime. If you were going to have them both on the show, you got to have them You got to have them together. I think... I don't know, honestly, which one's more intriguing to me. The thought of Surfer Sting and Taker back in the early 90s having a match or the Phenom Undertaker and the Crow Sting having a match. I don't know which one's more. Hey, they would both be really good. I'd kill somebody to see that match in those two's prime. You know, like a like a 95, 96 Taker when he, you know, coming off the, the WWF title win against Sid against a surfer sting that was coming off the, when he had the purple gloves and he, all that yeah when he had the purple gloves against a surfer sting that had just beat flair for the world title at the great american bash or something yeah. those two in a match or like i said like the starcade 97 crow sting and the phenom sting that was taken on kane yeah you know that would have been man but i don't know man i i'm i'm in that you know i was watching that uh the early 2000s and, and it's kind of a weird time for wwf they're about they're less than a year from acquiring wcw they are they're letting triple h have way too much control of the company they're building up that there's a such thing as too much heat on a bad guy to me and i can i can see that you know they're building for like almost five months now since the mcmahon helmsley marriage they have been dominant you know he beats cactus jack in the street fight at royal rumble 2000 which never should have happened you never should have had Triple H defeat Cactus Jack in a street fight. In, in his own. Come on, man. That's the perfect story right there is to let Cactus Jack win that title. But they done that to build Triple H up as a star because at that point he wasn't. Well, I mean, he's he's pretty well established. He's on like his third or fourth title run now. You know, it's a good back and forth. Kind of like The Rock, man. He turns heel to get the title for the first time. Then he's there. He's the guy. You can tell he's a star. Now he starts all this back and forth. The Rock hadn't had a title in like a year. So it's a good time. They've established Triple H. He's won the title. That would have been a really good time for him to drop it to Cactus. And then they come back the next month at the No Way Out, and he has the uh, Hell in the Cell match that he's famous for. Um, Triple H wins that. And, and, I mean, as a fan, as an adult watching mm. that, I'm like, man, there's no way writing this story that any of this makes sense. You have him beat Cactus Jack in a street fight, and in a hell in a cell for the crew. And that was for Cactus Jack's career at the time. But if you go on Peacock and watch that, they were doing that to build Triple H more because Cactus or Mick Foley was supposed to be going home 
legitimately retired. They didn't have anybody else at that time to. Be, they they weren't going to use Taker for it. No, obviously he was actually on they didn't break have that. Yeah, at the they time. didn't have a big enough name really. So they were like, Mick, we need you to help get Triple H to where he needs to be. Will you make this one last run, and we'll give you X amount of dollars? And he agreed yeah. to do it. And I can see that, and that makes sense. But I think just... Well, I, I get what you're saying, though, but as far as the storytelling and how it come off to the fans, I agree. It would have been a better story for him to win the street fight because, like I said, the Hell in a Cell match was a, for, was a, it was a title against career match. Yeah. So it would have made more sense for them win the street fight at the Rumble because you don't beat Cat In Madison Square Garden, come on, man. Cactus has got to win that one and yeah. then let Triple H upset him in the Hell in a Cell match. For the title, then he's retired. There's trilogy. a send off. That's it, man. That made a lot more sense to me. I'm not saying I'm not saying I expected anybody to be perfect, and they weren't botching stories near as bad as WCW. Giving Scott Steiner a microphone was Jesus fucking Christ. That was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude. And you, the same thing happened this last WrestleMania. I was fucking pissed when Cody didn't beat Roman. You know, I, I get. Hey, Roman makes it to a thousand days. Let me tell you something. Down the road and how I am now, I don't give a fuck who held that title that many fucking times. Yeah. Mine is the matches and the stories you told. No doubt. And the moments. No doubt. Cody comes back. His whole thing he is, I'm here that. to finish the story. His dad never won a world title. He wins the fucking belt. No, right. WWF he didn't, yeah. Yeah, and now here we are. The Rock just comes back this past week. I haven't seen that. Don't watch it anymore. Okay, well, look, here's what happens. <laughs> Rock comes back. Nobody knew he was going to be there. Triple H just goes, a former world champion will be here. Jinder Mahal walks out. Crowd's fucking booing him. By the time, here comes The Rock. Goes out there, whoops his ass, and he's like, all right, San Diego, before I go to The Rock's, The Rock's a little hungry after all this ass kicking. <laughs> so Roman's whole gimmick now, you know it, right? The tribal chief. Okay, well, the bloodline, hey, the Samoan bloodline, he's the tribal chief. He's the head of the table, as he calls himself. Yeah, so the rocks, about that. the rocks, like, should the rock sit in a booth? The crowd's like, eh. he goes, should the rock sit at the bar? And they're like, hey, he's like, yeah, the rock loves a bar. He goes, or should the rock sit at the head of the table? The crowd just pops, hard. pops. The rocks like, we're only getting started. So they're fisting, they're gonna That's do this saying. match. That's what's up. But here's the problem: Roman's the fucking universal champion. He's over a thousand days as a world champion. You don't put your world champion, if they do this at WrestleMania, just, you know, hypothetically, you don't let him come in there and have a match with a guy that's never there. Now, if he dropped the belt last year to Cody and they do it now, it tells that fucking story because it's who's, who is the fucking man of that bloodline of that Samoan family. I like it. Instead of doing what you're doing now. You know, and here's another wrench you throw in it these days. CM Punk comes back after 10 years. You know why CM Punk left? One of the reasons? He never got to main event WrestleMania. As big as he was, this motherfucker's gone for 10 years. Might as well say seven or or nine, whatever it was, when he come back to AEW. And I know who CM Punk was. I kind of stopped watching it right when he got to be really, really big. Mm -hmm. But I know when I started picking up on it again and watching it, because I'm married and at home all the time, so it's something to do. Every fucking night, every pay-per-view, there's a CM Punk chant. 
Every so, fucking time. I never really rode the CM Punk bus, so I can't really say I'm up on that. I he mean, is really great. On was the- he not the WWF champ when the pipe bomb interview happened and he left WWE the first time? Yes. So if you're the champ, if you keep riding that, you're going to get to main you, event WrestleMania. No. You know what happened? What? That year, this is when they introduced the new belt, by the way, too. The big mm-hmm. belt with the WWE on it. Yeah. That year that happened... Punk dropped the belt to to the Rock at Rumble. I believe is what happened. Okay. Cena wins the Rumble. I think I'm not sure on so that. So they part. set up for a Cena Rock thing at WrestleMania. Yes, for the world title. So you make this man drop the fucking belt to a guy that's never there. He's the Rock. Yes, one of the best to ever do it. The best on the microphone, hands down. But then you do that match. Cena wins. The Rock's gone. Right. And then that, and that as you hot as CM Punk up. was then, that new belt they made should have been his. So then, when you go back and see so that he story. felt insulted. Okay. You, you, oh, you he let said the Rock it. Come back in. And- he said it on a live microphone. He said, You let fucking. He's like, John Cena, you're good as kissing uh, Vince McMahon's ass is as uh, Hulk Hogan was. <laughs> but I don't know if you're as good as Dwayne. Hmm. And he said, he said, you let this man come back. Who's a Hollywood damn star. Who's not here every day, busting his ass like the rest of us. Win the belt main event, WrestleMania. Now he got to wrestle taker and that's, that's great, but you never main event. Come on, man. I don't know, man. The rock put his time in. He put 10 years in the WWF. He put the every day he was there. Yes. He wasn't there 10 years. Yes. He was there. He started like 95. When did he leave? 2002. 2002. Okay. He probably put seven. Him him and Stone Cold were only like six and seven year runs when they were on top. Well, uh, they, yeah, on top, yeah. But you got to think, when he started his Rocky Johnson, like the 95 Survivor Series. It was 95, but he left around 2002 when he done Scorpion King. Now, overall, like maybe leaving and coming back, he have have that much. I mean, it doesn't take anything away from him because when you hear people give the Mount Rushmore, He's You're going to hear The Rock, and you normally hear Stone Cold, too. And I think, man, I think a lot of that, I can't fully agree with that. Well, this guy ain't here every day. I'm here busting my ass. He did that. He walked that path. He paved that path for you. No, I agree. I mean. I think you need it, to shut it, the fuck if, up. If anybody can have that argument, it'd be The Undertaker. No doubt. He never left. He, he was always left. there. And uh, Randy Orton's going to end up being that guy. He said he's going another 10 years. He'll be 50. No shit. Yeah, and he was like, because he just came back from back fusion surgery, and they were like, you're not wrestling anymore. I heard something about that. So he him. was out for 18 months. He And see, he came back at that uh, war games when when, when CM Punk I saw came him back. Do the, do the RKO off the cage, the guy falling off so, the cage. So whenever Randy came back that night, I was like, CM Punk's definitely not coming now because Randy came back. So there was some stigma around that man about. Uh, but Randy's a uh, Randy's one of probably the best of his generation in ring, man. That dude is smooth good. as it he's gets. Good. Given now, he's the I, Shawn Michaels of his generation. I can count how many shows I've watched in the last twenty years, live shows on two hands probably. I watched the WrestleMania thing because it's it's like a big uh, two day event now. It's a big thing. It's and cool to have the two nights, but sometimes it's like a little too much. I don't know. I, I feel like because you're going to always judge which night was better to where if you had it all in one night, you don't have to do that. 
Uh, I mean, I, yeah, on one on one hand, I get that, but I was trying to give it a legitimate shot about this time last year to get back into wrestling. You know, you had me, you had the AEW thing talked up. You had me interested in the Young Bucks and. I just they're fucking I great gonna, workers, man. They are, goddamn, their AEW, stories suck. I, say, I just couldn't get interested in AEW, man. And I, I, it doesn't help that I'm watching the old WCW, WWF days. Oh, yeah, that definitely makes a difference. To watch that during the week and then try to flip over and watch WWF now, man, it was just bad. But I remember thinking, like, watching the WrestleMania, Cody wins, I'm in this shit. I like it. It's a good storyline. So you watched that one? Yes. I, oh. I watched that match. And on Peacock, you get all the pay-per-views Oh yeah, yeah. So, and I'll I'll be honest with you. They caught my attention with the war games, the the throwback to WCW war games when Randy came back. Yeah, but just watching the match with Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes, man, I remember thinking he's not going to win this match. He should. Everything says Cody wins this match, so they'll fuck it up, and he won't. And sure enough, he didn't fucking win. And I was like, man, I'm done with this. And I realized watching that WrestleMania. A big reason that I think and a lot of things that have changed about modern day wrestling over when we were kids and storylines changing, a lot of it's right there in the ring. How many times do you see a pay-per-view today that a guy hits his finisher and that's it? Yeah. How many times do you see a guy have to hit his finisher four fucking times to finish the other guy off. Like, that's not, that wasn't a thing back in the 90s. If somebody kicked out of the pedigree, when, we, when the Ultimate Warrior kicked out of the pedigree at WrestleMania like 10, that was part of the storyline. They were building Warrior up. You know, <clears throat> Brett didn't kick out of the Sweet Chin music. You didn't kick out of Hogan's leg drop. You didn't kick out of Taker's tombstone. It just wasn't a thing, man. It, yeah. was, a, it was a one-off event that when it happened, it caused a huge crowd pop. Now, that's so fucking common. For every main event. That guy hits his first finisher, everybody knows the match is not over. Yeah. That's crazy, man. And, and there's some weak finishers today. There were some weak finishers back then. The whole Superman punch idea stupid as fuck to me. Yeah, I don't like it. The attitude adjustment is a fucking fireman's carry. It is what it is. The F5, Brock Lesnar, it's a modified fireman's carry. They, 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 these aren't high-impact moves, but... They're fucking stupid. I mean, I see why people are kicking out of them, but it <laughs> yeah. ruins the storyline. It's not a finishing move if you got to hit it three times to end the fucking match. Yeah. And that's that's a testament to the story writing of the day. That shouldn't be a thing, man. A lot of people have that argument about it. It's, it's that's awful to me, you know. Sting had the Scorpion but, Death Drop and the and and the, and the Scorpion Death Drop. And when I watch when those. I watch the pay per views now, I know like oh he hit his finisher. I'm like he's kicking out of this one because it's the first one he done. Right, it's that's just the he, first one. Yeah, you know that. So you know, I think the best thing they could have done last year at WrestleMania, man, the first time Cody Rhodes hit that crossroads move, he gets the three, dude. That arena fucking explodes. Yeah, that is, you know, give him a good 15 minute match. First time he hits that crossroads, it's over. That Dude, crowd burns that place it down. It was so well lined up, man. He comes home from AEW. You yep. get the feel of he, like back in the day, one goes to WCW or whatever, one comes to WWE, and you get that big comeback. No doubt. He left because they wouldn't do anything with him. They were botching him. They're, you know, terrible fucking stories. He's like, I'm not doing it anymore. I fucking quit. And they're like, is he going to make it? He goes out in the fucking Indies and makes a fucking name for himself. Makes great money. Goes and starts a whole nother fuck. Well, before AEW even started, him, the Young Bucks, and Kenny Omega and Hangman were all the main guys on the Indies, yeah. the elite. So 
I don't know if Cody was really considered in the elite. Maybe he was. But anyway, they were all good friends. Mm-hmm. Well, Dave Meltzer was like, hey, no indie show could sell out Madison Square Garden. They sold that motherfucker Challenge out in accepted. 30 minutes. 30 minutes. So they do that. I'm like, holy shit. Well, you know, then Tony Khan, great wrestling fan, fucking shitload of money. Shitload of money. And they all had, they were all sketchy about it. There's like, you go in here with a billionaire that just wants to. But when they sat down to talk to him, he is a fan, just like me and you are right now talking. And I mm-hmm. think that's some of his downfall for the way his company is right now. And it's good in some ways. But you can't always give the fans what they want. Sometimes you have to no doubt. let them look and then pull it back. No doubt. I absolutely agree. With and that I think sometimes. he needs to work on that part. But yeah, but anyway, Cody comes back to that dude and then he's there. He beats Rollins, has the first ever five star match WWE's had in however many years with Rollins in that uh, Hell in the Cell when he had the broke fucking peck. Yeah. And goes back, wins, the, comes back from the injury faster than he's supposed to. Comes back, wins the fucking Rumble. I want Roman. I'm finishing the story. I'm going to do what my dad couldn't do here. His dad trained Roman. Roman was the son he never had. I mean, all that shit was laying out fucking perfect, and you goddamn ruined it because you wanted Roman to have a thousand days. That's fucking bullshit. That's that's absolutely definition. Like I said, 10 years down the road, people would remember Cody coming back and winning that belt more than Roman having a thousand days. Absolutely, because that thousand day, man, I know Backlund did it back in the late 80s. San Martino has the... I don't remember, like a fucking 10 years. His is ridiculous. It's fucking crazy. Hogan had a big run. I mean, nobody gives a fuck because when something is predetermined, and I hate to knock on my own art here because I I do love wrestling. Yeah. When something's predetermined, nobody gives a fuck how many days you had the title because it was predetermined. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's not like you're uh, John Jones and you're undefeated in MMA and you're the only champion that was a champion. Ten years ago, exactly. You know, guys like that who are legitimately defending You're not Floyd their title, That's a fucking story. A predetermined guy having a thousand day run is fucking bullshit. That's just bad storytelling. Yeah, and I mean, even with Ric Flair having six, uh, was it sixteen, seventeen time world champ, seventeen time, I think, whatever. When I think of Ric Flair, I don't even fucking think of that. I think no. of the best showman and one of the best salesmen to Absolutely. ever fucking do it and to transcend into fucking culture exactly like even people young nowadays coming up 18 years old they know give me two claps and a rick flair i'm having a hard time holding these alligators down they don't give a fuck about 16 world titles (laughs) like you said in a predetermined fucking thing does anybody look back and at the rocky films and go oh he was a five-time world champion no No. one gives a fuck he was a bum that won the title and then he beat a big fucking russian that's what we remember all people wanted to see, man. All people cared about, even with guys like he the was Rock, the underdog. Man, all guys, all guys cared about was that was that build up of what do you think about this? And they they started talking. They wanted to hear the. It doesn't matter what you think. Yes, <laughs> man. It did, they did. I don't now, know. I don't even know how many times Shawn Michaels won the title. And I'm Shawn a was Shawn like a Michael. four or five, maybe six time. Me but, and you are as big of fans as it gets, and I don't even know how many times he won the fucking. It's time. somewhere around that range, but. I, I do know he was the first um, Grand Slam champion. Grand Slam Absolutely. champion. Yes, I do know that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, that's kind of different than the how many times you held it to me. That's fine. And here, here's, to me. here's the thing, though, too. 
oh, you're 16 time or whatever. Damn, you lost that motherfucker a lot, didn't you? <laughs> but think, again, it's it's predetermined. I think it shows more versatility to be the first Grand Slam champion ever to be, you know, in, in the history of WWF. But that just shows, I mean, Sean could work with anybody, man. Sean made everybody better around him. And I think Bret Hart was the same way. Bret Hart it could take a subpar opponent and make a great match. Oh, yeah. Because he was great in ring, you know. And, and I hate that we never got to have more matches with him and Sean or him and Kurt Henning. Who, who, who Kurt Brett, Henning was a great one, too. Brett went on record to say Kurt Henning was the best guy I ever worked with. I hate – he said, you know, I, I believe his exact words were, wrestling Kurt was like a night off. It was like having a vacation, man, because he was so good in ring. Yeah, you know? there, and there's a lot of guys out there like that. It's no doubt, man, but it's, it's, at the end of the day, man, I don't, I'm going to try to watch as much as I can, but I don't. Triple H is doing things a lot different from Vince did now that he has full control. Like Vince is gone. He's not even on the board right yeah. now from what I've read. Between and that and Shawn Michaels is like head of talent development. And he's head of talent development and he running NXT and okay. who, who better to have down there developing kids than one of the. The best. They and Rick, let, when Ric Flair looks you in the face and says, the best to ever do it in ring is Shawn Michaels. I think Hands down. They've got some good pieces in place. I'm interested to see where they go from here. Here's another thing, though. You're at a point now. Randy's in his 40s. Still great in there. Like, he's still got it. No doubt. CM Punk just came back. He's in his 40s. Roman. He's getting close to 40. Is Punk in his 40s? Punk's 45. Jesus, man. Yeah, I, we're I getting old. old. Um, <clears throat> but here's but you look back, you know, when the ruthless aggression started after, mm-hmm. um, after the, the attitude, attitude era, era, you hit the fucking jackpot again. You had fucking Batista. You had Brock Lesnar. You had Randy Orton, John Cena, all them guys at one fucking time. I will maintain. And Eddie Guerrero. That a lot of. Kurt Angle. Okay. All right. A lot of the guys you just named were propped up by a lot of other guys that were really good in ring. I don't think you had the solid talent from top to bottom of the roster like you did. Who Who would be your five? You don't have to, like, I hate ranking top fives, top threes. Top five, like, in-ring people. Of all time? Of your five. Ooh, boy. All time, Sean's the best. Followed very closely by Bret Hart. Sting, Flair. Probably Mysterio. Yeah. Mysterio's up there, man. Mysterio mine's, for, mine's for a Sean, It's Sean, Bret. It's Flair. Eddie Guerrero. And my that fifth one's so hard because Benoit, Benoit, um, Malenko, Kurt Angle, Mysterio, perfect. It's it's hard to pick that no last doubt. one. No doubt, no doubt. It really is because no doubt. Man, you go back even and, Jericho. As much as I hate him, he was good in ring, man. Oh, he's he he's still pretty good to be his age he is now. He's fucking he fifty and he's still fucking doing line salts and shit. Fat as fuck. <laughs> yeah, he he has gained weight. Yeah, Whitney said he looks like a uh, like a middle aged mom, like so, a cougar coming down there. But like a what's his name that was the eighties metal band singer Sebastian uh, Sebastian Bach. Bach, yeah. Right, he's starting to look like Vince Neil from fucking Motley Crue. Uh, but yeah. It, you you'll never get you will get some of them guys again. Like right now, there's a guy, Will Osprey. 
this motherfucker could have a match with anybody. And he's so acrobatic compared to like some of the shit he does doesn't make sense. I've heard about him, the young guy in AEW, the one that got run over by the golf cart. Uh, Sammy Guevara. Sammy Guevara. He's really good. He, um, he's still got a lot to, um, so much more to to learn yet. Yeah, um, Kenny Omega's fucking great. I really yeah. hate that Kenny's never going to have a WrestleMania or a WWE moment because he's that good of a talent. But he's never going to go. I, I think him and the Bucks are so close to where if it ever did happen, they're going to have to go together. They'll never do it. Well, I think, you know, another guy that got caught up in that, he, for me, he got caught up between the time I stopped watching it and the time I tried to get back into it a few years ago was AJ Styles, man. AJ uh, Styles. AJ's fucking great. He made a great transition from young career, high-flying, risk-taking, hardy boy-esque guy to as he aged, he understood that and adapted to what he does now. So Who else well. did that? I don't know. Shawn Michaels. <laughs> I don't know, man. Shawn was. I, I'm a bit. I'm a big AJ fan. I'm biased He's one on, of my Shawn, on Shawn though. I thought Shawn was great from his time with the Rockers to his WrestleMania against the Undertaker. The Shawn's the greatest to do it in the ring, man. I've I've, I've always thought he might have lost a step, but as far as showmanship and in ring ability, he never lost not one day, man. Well, it says a lot. I don't remember how many years it was, but he comes back, his back, he's like, I think I can do it, you yeah. know? Comes back seven years off, whatever it was. I I really don't remember the time frame, but he comes back at SummerSlam and has that fucking street fight with Triple H. And yeah. Triple H was like, if anybody's going to do it with him, it's going to be me. It's going to be, it's be yeah. his you know, no best doubt. friend. He was like, it was like the motherfucker never missed a beat. That's what Triple no H said. He's like, like he was never gone today. I, I got in there and was like, this is what it's supposed to be like. No, you know, no. he's used to working with Absolutely. everybody else. And- Absolutely, man. And I think, I think, you know, to, as I got older and learned about the struggles that Sean had with drugs and pills and the back problems he had that I didn't know about when I was a kid, to to see what f- he did, man, makes how me the fuck he wrestled it. Right, Stone Cold to keep even, doing it. Even Mike Tyson, he has his podcast now. He talks about it all the time when wrestling gets broke up or brought up. He's like, he had a broke back. Right. How and the fuck? He's like, I have more respect for that dude than anybody I ever fought. You know, it gets lost a lot of times in the WrestleMania 98 match, him and Ty- him and uh, Stone Cold with Tyson as a special enforcer. It gets lost that people were talking about Sean not doing business leading up to that match. People don't realize that was his, this is my last match for a long time because I got a broken fucking back, man. To go back and, and he knew he was rant. still young and he was on top and he was red hot still. He no didn't doubt. want to give it up. Who the hell would? But yeah, man, he uh, he was special. It was no doubt. We'll never have another one of those. The him, Taker, even Austin in the Rock. As good as the Rock was on the mic, as white hot as Austin got for about two years, we'll never see a run like that again, man. Yeah, and out of all those guys you just named, I don't know if anybody was hotter than Stone Cold in his two year run, that where he was just everywhere. Run, no way, no way, dude could do no. You wrong. you had people. Like, when I was younger, the old school type guys like my dad and all them, I ain't watching that fake shit. You'd see them, who the fuck is Stone Cold? I want to check this cat out. Right. Then they see him, it's like, oh, damn, this is NASCAR it's a for wrestling. motherfucker yeah. right there, man. Yeah. It, it really WWF, turned into that. 
WWF capitalized absolutely at the right time on a blue collar guy because they realized that's the majority of your audience, man. Yeah. Blue collar workers. He was that guy that like represented blue collar America, beer drinking. Who didn't want to cuss their boss out? Right. Guy that could cuss some point. Right. Give a stunner and a sack tap to their boss. (laughs) Come on, man. That was that guy could have, he could have denounced St. Jude's. (laughs) <laughs> and people fucking cheered that guy. Man, he could do no wrong for about two. His years. His match with Brett at Survivor Series, SummerSlam, Survivor Series was it Survivor, where he bled during the Sharpshooter. Mm-hmm. Are you sure it wasn't SummerSlam? Might have been Survivor Series. But uh, when he came back for that, I yeah, up. I don't got a Jamie to Google yet. <laughs> but uh, when he came and he was scared to have that match, he's like, I can't do a fucking submission match, man. My style is not going to work for that. You know, and uh, no doubt it was Survivor Series. You know, I'm I'm looking. You're still years, looking. years later. Um, you know, Stone that, Cold that night when he walked in the back. Sean, uh, no, what's his name? Hayes. Michael Hayes looked at him and said, "Hey, you're a baby." He's like, "No, the fuck, I'm not." And he's like, "Oh yeah, know it or not, you, you are. You just became a baby face. <laughs> People, they love you. Yeah, because um, he got cheered." But I think after that, too, didn't Brett kind of go after him and, like, kicked him even after the match was over? Or was that another one? Maybe. I know. But no. Yeah. He tried, and Shamrock was the enforcer That's in that match. That's what it was. He was a special You know, he just signed a legends contract with the WWE. Really? I hope he's about to get in the Hall of Fame. I think he, he deserves to be there. Wow. We were both wrong. Really? I don't remember it being the WrestleMania 13 match. I thought that was the precursor to this match. I thought it was WrestleMania and then SummerSlam. They had the first match at WrestleMania, but apparently we are both wrong. So that was the WrestleMania 13 match. Just lost points on our wrestling. We did, man. I feel like we need to stop talking about it now. We got to talk about something else. Well, we'll talk about this. (laughs) And you tell me how long you need. You know, I'm sitting at my house and I know you got to get back. So you tell me when you need to cut it down. But that shot of him in the sharpshooter with the blood running That's down his it, face, man. you'll never get that again. No, like, hell no. You know, a moment like that. And like, no a, doubt. A, again, you're going to remember that type of moment before you're going to remember at that time, Brett was seven-time world champion. Nobody gave a fuck. No. Nobody gave no, a fuck. He exactly. was the toughest son of a Neither bitch Neither one of them the had a belt that night. Right. The guy that was killing it, man, he was, he was stunning the boss and fucked the man, was refused to tap out to the best submission move in the game at the time. And see, that's a way out. to do it too. He didn't break the hold. No, the the, the sharp stu- sharpshooter still held up. You know what I mean? No doubt. It, you you passed out. That's, that's the way you do it. You don't fucking kick out of it and then he gets you in it again. No, fuck that. Yeah, fuck I, that. I'm with you on that. One hundred percent. And like you said, not only the fact that WWE doesn't allow the whole blood, you know, getting color thing anymore. I think that's stupid. I think it's fucking stupid. But you're just near. You're not going to get that kind of toughness out of. You're not going to get that kind of build up and 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 toughness out of this day, man. It's now, not. now I will say, uh, awesome. This we'll cut it, cut off wrestling after this. Trying to get in something else. Um, but AEW when they done their first big show and Cody and Dustin had a match, brother versus brother, mm-hmm. and it was brutal, dude. There was blood. There was story told, dude. Five stars. No it was fucking great. Like it was an old school. Well, yeah. you know what, man? You think about greatest matches 
of, I mean, most entertaining matches, not just overall greatest, but just most entertaining matches of all time. And they almost all involve some kind of blood, man. You're going to talk about the yeah. Cactus Jack getting split open in the, or getting thrown off the top of a fucking hell in a cell through an announcer table and the Stone Cold bleeding in the sharpshooter. You know, it's always going to involve some kind of color, you know, being yeah. had because it just shows how much these guys are given to their craft for a predetermined sport, man, for somebody to go into depth like that, you know. Mick Foley, after he goes to the announcer table off top of the hill in the cell, he's climbing back up the cell, which was not pre-planned. They they really were just going to carry him off. You know, he's got like a broken jaw, separated shoulder, broke ribs, right tooth sticking through his top lip. Like fuck it, man, he's going back. That would have just would have been the same if it would have just been a rough tombstone. <laughs> you know, he was yeah. bruised up. You know, yeah. it's, it just wouldn't have been the same effect right there. Again, Austin and the Sharpshooter wouldn't have had that same effect if there wasn't blood running off his face at the time he's screaming and passing out. You know, you don't you 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 don't get that in today's wrestling. No. Um, other than the guy breaking his fucking leg, which was nasty as fuck in the AEW when he come flipping out of the ring and down to the side and like his leg snapped in half. Oh, he's already back. That's fucked up. I don't think his leg actually broke. His ankle dislocated or was something. It? Yeah, it was so nasty as fuck to that watch. That kid's really good, too. It was nasty as fuck to watch. But look, you talk about the blood and all that, man. You watch probably my favorite match AEW's done was the cage match with the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers. Mm-hmm. I could watch those two tag teams wrestle any day of the week. I'll watch them every night. They're, See, man, they got that, that chemistry, chemistry and yeah. it's just... No match is the same shit either. They're they're so fucking good together. It's like they, I, I guarantee you, they plan a finish, but the rest of it, they go out there and go, we're having fun tonight. We're just gonna play. We're off, gonna play it off right the cuff, here. and they, they're just so good. You know what, man? That reminds me of damn near any WCW that wasn't heavyweight at the time. Anybody in the in the Luchador category, the Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero matches. Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio at Halloween Havoc is ninety seven. That's is it, one of the best matches you could ever watch. If you want to see smaller guys like get it and eddie wasn't real small but i mean compared to some of them he was but you go back and watch that shit you go watch dean malenko and eddie i was gonna say an an underrated guy in that game was dean malenko because he wasn't as agile as those luchadors but he worked with those guys and he could sell it you know on his level he was the Shawn michaels of selling in the ring man he 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 could sell it so well man he was really good, you know the the psychosis and the Juventud Guerreros and even some of the matches Ultimo like, Dragon, ow, Ultimo Dragon, even some of the matches that like DDP had with uh, Guerrero and stuff. The match Guerrero got hurt. They mm-hmm. changed the ending in the middle of the match. Man, that was man. Talk about exciting to watch. Shit like that is why WCW got the got the one up on WWF in the late nineties in the Monday Night Wars. Yeah. Well, and some of it was too. It wasn't just all storyline. You actually got to see those guys wrestle, and that's one thing. Triple H is getting better at it now, but the AEW still has it. Like you're gonna see wrestling that night. You're not just gonna see people walk out and have a promo and slap each other and no. separate. And that's <laughs> cool to see if you're building a big story. It can have its place. Yes, but overall, I want to see fucking people wrestle, and I want to see different people too. Not every week has to be a story, you know. I don't know if you just have an invincible bladder or not, but I'm going to have to take one more quick break before we finish this. <laughs> All right. Well, go ahead. We'll have a little reset. I think this man has the bladder the size of a pecan or a peanut, but it shouldn't take long. 
and we'll try to get to something else other than wrestling maybe i don't know we'll we'll probably go into movies music and maybe more sports if we go into music you're gonna hear a lot of back and forth arguing because me and him's already had these discussions and yeah we we definitely don't agree a lot when it comes to guitar players and singers and all that but in wrestling, we have a lot of similarities. We're both Shawn Michaels guys, so, yeah, there you go. That was a quick one. Now we're getting ice. Well, I enjoy it straight out the bottle, but, you know, yeah. I can see with the ice, we wouldn't be bad with it. But, yeah, this Blanton's is really good. I see why you, you get it as much as you do. I like your choices too. You've went through every bottle so far. I was about to say I'm not. Hillary, if he comes home now. a little rough, wasn't my fault. Oh, I'm gonna keep drinking. So if I'm rough now, I'm gonna get rougher. <laughs> um, you I, mentioned my bladder. I'm the one. Hey man, you keep on your second drink over there. I'm on like my fourth. I will say that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you're right. Not gonna argue. <laughs> um. All right, so. Let's swap it up, man. You're you're the guest, so where do you where would you like to go from here? Um, my next most known known topic, other than music, is probably sports, man. And I know I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Shane keeps up with hockey. Wrong. <laughs> really? Well, that is shocking, man. That people in the South don't watch hockey more. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, why, why is that? It was. Is it for lack of ranks in the area where we grew up? I think a lot of it has to do with uh, football. Just uh, fucking takes over everything here. Football does. And That's for me, fair. a lot of people don't know this, but I was 16 years old probably before I even got where I gave a shit about college football. Really? I was always a. I was a NFL basketball guy. fan, and, re- and okay. before I moved here. When I was in Selma and uh, we for years, and then we got to uh, Maplesville for a year. Okay, I was skateboarding rollerblades. That's all I gave a shit about. Okay, yeah, Tony Hawk guy. Yeah, well, back then <laughs> I don't even think Tony was that big. I forget who I used to follow, but wasn't that bad on a skateboard as a kid, you mm-hmm. know. But that's all I had to do. We lived in a project, and there was a parking lot, and you could, you know, jump over the fucking. The stop points and all that—that's that. where those back problems come from, ain't it? It's it, it, now it's all making sense. Uh, I'm honestly going to go with the back problems come with basketball and uh, lifting weights as much as I did when I was younger. Because so to move forward, when I moved to my neighborhood, there was a basketball goal next door. Brandon Holyfield played every day, mm-hmm. so he became my best friend. We're still great friends now. So when we got home from school and we're finished with homework, we're out there playing one-on-one basketball every fucking day. Yeah. The weekend, he's going to bring somebody home to spend the night. So am I, because my dad poured a little ha- a concrete pad that was probably half of a half court. Mm-hmm. But that's all we had to work with. And we played Friday and Saturday night, and we're playing to fucking 2 and 3 in the morning. Yeah. How my parents could deal with that, <laughs> I don't know. I asked them as I got older – they said, well, we'd rather hear that and know you're okay than you be out doing something you didn't need to be doing. Because how many 16, 17-year-old kids do you know that's going to be at home playing basketball and not trying to get out and get into trouble? Right. Not saying I didn't go out and do that stuff, but 
for 60, 70% of the time, that's what we were doing, man. Two on two, three on three basketball was every night. And I was very reckless with the way I played. Like, I didn't care if I run in for a layup and I fell down and all that. Like, it's just how I played. And I always jumped off my left leg because I'm right-handed. So, yep. you always lead with it. Yep. So, my biggest problem that I have now is my back and that nerve goes down my left leg. I got you. So, maybe that's where I come up. Maybe I just got a fucking bad deal. My back's just, you know, I got, got tweaked wrong from. I was fortuitous enough not to have back problems. I've got ankle problems to this day. God, I can't, I can't count how many times I've rolled ankles. Man, I got, I got both my ankles are like golf balls. But we actually had growing up, we had a public rec center. Yeah. That was open to anybody that wanted to come play ball. Yeah. You know, I mean, there was, <clears throat> of course, there would be events booked sometimes during the week for whatever, but uh, 90% of the time it was just open. You could just go play ball anytime you wanted, indoors, yeah. you know, and, and that was nice to have. Like I said, it led to a lot of ankle problems. But I, I miss playing to this day, man. I all, like, I was never the best at playing by no means, but I just didn't, I really enjoyed it. And to get back to what we were just originally talking about, when that started, of course, the sport you're playing every day, I turn on TV. Who the fuck is Allen Iverson, you know? <laughs> no doubt. And that he hooked me on basketball, man. I was and, a big AI guy. And I was an AI fan, and when he went away, I was like, I'm still a basketball fan. I got to find a fucking team to stick with. Just And I started watching the Bulls when uh, Ben Gordon and all of them were there. And Okay, so you weren't a pre- like a Jordan Bulls guy. No, 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 no. But I knew who Jordan was, and I could watch him. But, I mean, you got to think. When I started playing and moving up here, you're looking at 98, 97. Jordan's gone. Yeah. I think so it, before that point, there. like I said, all I gave a shit about was, and even BMX, like all I cared about was those type of things because that's what people did, who I were hanging out with. And, you know, and we, we recently just bought Hannah rollerblades and stuff or roller skates. And I bought another set of rollerblades and I put them on the other day. Bad back and all, I can still skate. Like, I can't do all the shit I used to, but I can still hold my balance and turn around, you know, instead of hitting a door. So, man, Kyle is getting into it. She's talking about wanting to have her uh, birthday party at Super Skate. And they're like, yeah, baby, that's great. I am dreading getting back on some roller skates. Well, you let me know because I'm definitely coming for that one because, uh, and Hannah gets in here because. It's been so fucking cold and the wind blowing and shit. I don't. I can take her over to school and we can do it, but she had just got over being sick because every fucking kid that's at the school right now seems to come home with a call for a fucking runny nose. So, but yeah, uh, that that's just how I got into basketball, man. Because once I got into it, that's when Iverson was there, uh, Carter, Tracy McGrady was uh, popular. Then you know Tim Duncan was there. KG was really big. So no doubt. Uh, Stefan Marbury, Stephen Francis, <clears throat> Steve Francis, all those were the guys when I started watching and paying Man, attention to it. So, when I was young, which would have been mid nineties, I remember being at my grandmother's house, you know, in the summer, or whenever before school, watching Sports Center. You remember, you, Sports Center used to loop. It oh was yeah, a, it was it, the same loop. It was a, the the same hour from like four in the morning to like lunch. It was yeah, the same it wasn't like shit. it is now. So instead of getting up and watching cartoons and whatever else everybody all the kids were watching, I was had a sippy cup of chocolate milk and was watching Sports Center like over and over and over. So if if it was on Sports Center, I was interested in it. 
Oh, well, fucking back then, Jordan was on Sports Center every day because he okay. was the highlight. So I was a big Bulls fan because, you know, I was a Bulls fan and I was a, I was a, a Penny Hardaway, uh, Shaquille O'Neal fan for the couple of years he was gone playing baseball. You know, that was, I, I was in Oh, that. and by the way, Kobe, how the fuck did I leave him out? But yeah. I don't like that guy. Um, <clears throat> I will not hold back because he's dead. I respect the guy as the second best player of all time. I'm glad uh, you said that. <laughs> but yeah. But I hated that guy. I hated um, Kobe too at first. But after Iverson was gone and Kobe was one of the ones that I grew up watching. So watching him still be able to compete, I got to be a Kobe. I not gonna say this, like a hardcore fan, but a Kobe guy. I preface this by saying I respect Kobe Bryant, and I take away nothing from his on court accomplishments. Yeah, I actually liked him before coming straight out of high school. Him and Kevin Garnett, you know, mm, yeah. blowing up being superstars. I respect the shit out of that. I started to hate him because of the way he did my my, my boy. AI in the 01 NBA Finals kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. <laughs> it hurt me bad. After that, especially when we won the first game, dude, AI stepping over Tyron Lue with the jump shot in the corner. And a lot of I people don't realize AI like was so banged up that uh, that no postseason too. No doubt. But um, and we ain't even talking about practice. We talking about <laughs> we're talking about a real game, not practice. <laughs> we talking about practice. So, man, after that. It left a little sour taste in my mouth, and maybe I'm biased. I admit, maybe I'm biased. But then Kobe pulled that whole I gotta be the man shit. That greedy, I don't care about everybody else. Fuck everybody else. I gotta be the man. Shaq gotta go. You ran Phil Jackson out of town. That's crazy, man. You ran arguably the greatest coach. But they of did all bring him time. back. I fuck that. You ran arguably the greatest coach of all time. Out of town because you had to be the guy. Come on. We'll man. go back and look at the history of the Lakers, and even now, they follow their players before they do their coaches and their advising people. I'm with that, and I understand that, and I respect that. And Kobe was the guy, man. He was good. He had the he had the on court talent to back it up, and he had a work ethic above all else that I will never question. He was oh, the yeah. hardest working guy day in day out. But his inability to be a team player is the only reason I don't say he was as good as Jordan. If that guy could have been a team player and had that mentality to be a team player, he's on the court the only guy that that pound for pound, move for move, dribble for dribble, if you will, holds a candle to Jordan. Oh, yeah. Like, for me, he was my generation's Jordan. Right. He could play defense. He could shoot the ball. He could pass the ball. He could do it all other than a fucked up mentality of, I can't be a team player. This is a one-man sport. Yeah. Other than that, my Whitney's man. Whitney's granddad's the same way. He don't like him for that same reason. For the exact, that's, and that's it. Other than that, man, I respect Kobe as they clear cut above all other second best player of all time. Oh, yeah. yeah. And if we were going to debate best players of all time, I acknowledge that there's enough on the table that you could debate him and Jordan. Yeah, and that's what kills or that's one thing that kills me is that you always hear LeBron or Jordan. And Shaq said it. Shaq said he was in an interview. They asked him, they said, How the fuck are you gonna leave Kobe out? 
Like you're cool, not gonna man. mention him? That's crazy. You know? LeBron is six foot nine, two hundred eighty five pounds. If Kobe or Michael, either one were that size, that'd have doubled LeBron's numbers, man. Come on, you're big enough. You're big enough to physically move people out of your way. You have the referees that allow you, which is my only knock on Kobe's own court ability, is his crybaby attitude towards the referees. That guy breathed on me. I need a foul. That's my thing with LeBron, man. You're six foot nine, you're two hundred eighty five pounds of solid fucking muscle. Yeah, but you think it's okay for you to tuck the ball at the, at the fucking three at, at the five second line? Take what they call a euro hop, which is three big fucking hops, and Earl Campbell your way to the rim. Yeah, and think it's okay. I'm gonna grab a drink out of the fridge. Okay, I was about to say we're taking another pee break. What is this? I just forgot I had this in here. Okay. Hopefully, eventually, I can get one of these little shed-like barn things. Me and Whitney's been talking about it. Half of it would be my little podcast studio. The other half can be her little <laughs> craft and stuff where she likes to do the shirts and all that. No so really working towards doing that one day. Um, I will say, as a professional, you are glued to that fucking chair. There is nothing that's going to bring you out of that chair. I prepped before you got here, too, because... <laughs> okay. Well, and then part of it... I got up this morning. I had my energy drink. I ate like one of those little mini apple pie things you see behind you. Mm. I have to run to Walmart and had to go get stuff. I go put get the grill going, get this stuff, done that, helping her with laundry. And then I had to run to the dollar store right before you come over here. And I'm trying to get that done before you got here. <laughs> so I haven't really consumed much to be okay. getting up and down for one. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. So. But I, I will say, I think maybe I've only taken one piss break since I started doing this podcast. I don't know. Maybe it's a mind thing. I don't know. You're on that shit, man. <clears throat> but <clears throat> to preface all that, the, the point of what I was originally going to get into was I was getting into hockey around that time, too, because hockey's number one, it's on Sports Center in the mornings. Number two, I don't know if you remember or not. The Mighty Ducks were some huge movies back then. Oh, I fucking love the Mighty Ducks. I watched. How, how do you love the Mighty Ducks and you didn't at least take a glance into the world of hockey? I know Wayne Gretzky. Oh my god! <laughs> and who was the one? Who's the guy that? Uh, um, Sidney Crosby. Uh, no, no. Alex uh, Ovechkin. No, the one. Uh, Carrie Underwood. Didn't she marry a hockey player? Mm, actually, I don't know. Yeah, that's about all I got, dude. So. <clears throat> The Mighty Ducks made me get into hockey, which I don't know for those, I guarantee for the 100% of our viewing audience that doesn't know the history of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. They were legitimately formed because off of, of a movie. movie. Yes. They got some awesome hats, by the way. I've been looking at okay. buying one, but I ain't pulled the trigger yet. Okay, so the Anaheim Mighty Ducks were not only originally formed off of a movie. They did not exist until the movie. Um, they also have some of my favorite players, uh, mainly Paul Correa. Mm-hmm. So, but that got my interest in hockey enough to start looking into it. And people that look into it, i.e., I got Cam here recently. Cam's a big basketball guy. Um, you're a big basketball guy. Well, I'm I'm MMA, basketball, football. So if you would ever, if I if I would ever get you in front of a TV to watch a hockey game, I ain't saying I wouldn't watch it. No, it's the same theory as basketball, except number one, fighting's legal. That's and, cool. And number two, there's no fouls. You go in the paint and get decked by a guy. It just is what it is. It's like getting tackled over the middle by a linebacker in football. You can't just run around. Now there's there's an interference rule in hockey. If you don't have the puck, 
people can't just level you. You can't just get body checked out of nowhere. So I'm going to say this and not to interrupt what you're saying uh, so I don't forget to say it because I'm old. There is a show on Netflix called Penalties and Felonies. Mm -hmm. You got to watch it. Reason why it was called the something trashers. They were like a D league of hockey. The trash pandas. Uh, I can only be so lucky. That's like no, it was the trashers or something. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. So the guy that done this, he bought this fucking hockey team for his kid. His kid's a huge fucking wrestling fan. His kid had fucking Triple H in China and people at his birthday party, bro. Nice. Okay. Well, here's another thing that you're going to find pretty awesome. You know the Sopranos? Yeah. The fucking Sopranos was based off his dad. <laughs> so you need to watch that because it puts wrestling and hockey and how that kid, like, they pretty much created a team and they were paying these guys on the table. Fucking kill that guy. That's what's If up. you knock him out of the goddamn game, here's five grand. So, I'm with that so they had this one dude. I don't recall what his name was, but he was a big time hockey player, like in the NHL, mm -hmm. become a free agent, and this motherfucker agreed to go play for them for the money. Yes, go watch it. I got to check this it, shit out. Uh, we'll look it up before you leave. What the actual name of it is, but watch that shit because you would love it. Out, but continue what you were saying. Well, I have. I mean, I've signed up for ESPN Plus just so I can watch all the hockey games here recently. You know, me me and the wife started taking the kids to like Birmingham Bulls games. Yeah, yeah. And for Christmas, she actually got me tickets to the Nashville Predators. So hey, I, you I'm going to get to go to Nashville and see my first NHL game. I'm I'm pretty stoked about it. But, um, you know, as far as that goes, if you ever sit down and watch hockey, man, it's literally it's the same concept as basketball. You cycle the puck around the zone, which is the idea of any NBA play. Well, yeah. Any traditional NBA play now it's just kind of take the ball run to the fucking hoop draw a foul cry if you don't get the call <laughs> it's fucking it's wrestling in on on hardwood so but man it's 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 crazy to watch you know if if the fights we, we watched we watched a Birmingham Bulls game a month or so ago we went and took the kids to watch yeah, the game I remember you telling me dude gets in a fight in the first period gets in a fucking fight beats the shit out of a guy Gets a five-minute penalty, comes back, scores a hat trick, three fucking goals in the second and third period, and and, and helps win the game. If you wins get, a fight and wins the game, right? I mean, even 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 in football, if you get in a fight, your night's done. You're out. You're gone. You're ejected from the fucking game. Yeah. You win a fight in hockey, it's hey, go sit in the corner for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's encouraged. I mean, there's a such thing as a Gordie Howe hat trick. A Gordie Howe hat trick is a goal, an assist, and a fight one all in the same night. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> and I've always wondered, other than the other than the than the than the, than the the absence of hockey ranks in the South, why the fuck we wouldn't love hockey? Yeah, probably because people's just not been introduced to it. It's just not, you know. I've always likened it to imagine trying to avoid Ray Lewis skating around at forty miles an hour. Oh Jesus Christ, <laughs> dude! Right. I was I was a. Uh, I was a big Titans fan as a kid, mainly because it was an NFL team other than the fucking Falcons that was close to here. I still am. Love their fucking uniforms and no all doubt. that, you know. And I will never forget the years of Eddie George and Ray Lewis having their battles, man, because he was one of the no only doubt. running backs that wasn't scared to fucking hit him. No doubt. And, yeah, that shit was fun to watch because, like, he was one of the only ones you would see that could actually win some of those exchanges. Lewis was a monster. Like when you watch that old video of Ocho Cinco and he's like, I was going to try and brawl. 
like Ray, but I, 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 fucked up. I, I, I fucked up, man. I can't breathe I right up. now. <laughs> Ray Lewis what, was a was I, a bad dude. I, I had talked with a guy at the dealership today. Guy brought his truck by. I was like, man, my battery won't start. And he's wearing like a Baltimore Ravens sweatshirt or hat or something. They're and fucking was, killer this year too. Dude. I was like, your your truck won't start because you're a fucking Ravens fan, and I still hold hostilities because of the back and forth that Baltimore and Tennessee had in the early two thousands, man. I uh, I still one yard loss in the Super Bowl fucking hurt too. You say what you want, it did. That shit still hurts to this day. I don't want to fucking talk about it. I'm a little traumatized. But what I did was we got the best. We got the best get back in sports fucking history. Oh, when they destroyed them the next year? We sent our coach over there and set their program back 15 fucking years. Yeah, Jeff Fisher got over there, and then they let him go. Man, got it. We we made them so bad for fifteen fucking years. They had to move cities. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it uh Was it Dyson that caught that ball? No, it was. No, oh, yeah, yeah, it, it was Dyson. Whitecheck was you know, the tight end. You know, Whitecheck just died recently. Mm-hmm. That sucked, man. I saw that he died about a month ago. I fell in his home and hit his head or something. Yeah, fucking crazy. Yeah, that was that was definitely. Yeah, I remember when there. I saw it, like Frank, I was like, "Fuck, he can't be that old." No, he was like fifty-two, I think. Yeah, fifty-four. Shit. Yeah. yeah, that was definitely that 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 was upsetting, man. I mean, it wasn't that wasn't as random as Steve McNair getting shot by a fucking hooker in Nashville. Oh, <laughs> dude, that fucking sucked, man. Steve McNair was a bad dude. That was that was crazy. He man. was very underrated, man. Very. He was good. I say, you know, people people talk about the greatest black quarterback of all time being Warren Moon and Cunningham, and those guys are great. I'm not taking anything from them, man. But you got to talk about McNair in that same conversation. Fuck yeah, you do, man. He was fucking great. Doug Williams was the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. Big fucking deal. McNair, McNair made a way in a time when there wasn't a way. Yeah, black quarterbacks, you know. But uh, McNair. The difference is, and don't let me get too stereotypical here, uh, black quarterbacks have, have historically been mobile guys. Yeah, yeah. McNair could do it with his feet. I'm not taking anything from him, but that guy could drop back and throw for 300 yards in a week. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime he had to pick the team up and win the game throwing the football, yeah. he could. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. And that's where, that, that's where guys like Cunningham and Warren Moon stood out. And mm-hmm. the reason that they're one of the best of all time – Regardless of color, their mobility is their ability to throw the football has nothing to do with their mobility. I think mobility in a quarterback is something that if you got it, great. But if that's your best asset, you'll never make it in in the NFL. That's very true. I mean, look at Tom Brady. I mean, people bring it up all look the time. Look at Manning. Well, I mentioned guys like Mike Vick because I mean, Mike Vick, other than like Red Grange. Mike Vick is widely considered the greatest mobile quarterback of all time. You know how many yeah. playoff wins he's got. Yeah, two. two. He won one in Atlanta. He won one in Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, I think. When he, after he come back, Philly was it Philly? I think it's okay. Philly. So he's got like two playoff wins in his career because he couldn't drop back and throw the ball. You're only going to get away with that mobility shit for so long. Well, now you got the best of both worlds with um with uh, Lamar. I, I I disagree. I don't Man, think he's that good throwing the football this year. You Is gotta he? watch. Yes. Is he? This year, I yeah. wouldn't be shocked to see them booted wild card weekend next weekend. I bet they're gone. I they clinched, bro. They lost three games this year. Did they, did they clinch a bye week? Really? Mm-hmm. You sure? Yes, I just watched it yesterday. Because Lamar didn't even Lamar half the Ravens didn't even play Pittsburgh yesterday. I knew they had clinched. I didn't know they clinched the bye week. Oh yeah. 
Well, yeah, they're the best in their division. I guess that makes sense because Kansas City had an off year. Because they're good. Uh, they clinched on their side, and then um, San Francisco clinched on the other side. Okay, uh, that makes sense. So they won't play wild card weekend. It wouldn't. Yeah. It wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me to see them get booted weekend after next, in the yeah. divisional round. Or if they, I mean, maybe win the divisional round because they're going to get, let's say, wild card weekend going into the divisional round. They're going to get the lowest ranked team, which is probably going to be the four seed. They're probably going to get whoever the winner of the AFC South is, Tampa Bay. I don't know who won the game earlier This today. This year was uh, one of the best uh, or most competitive years in NFL. Like all the teams were very competitive. Besides, like the commanders sucked. My Panthers shit the bed. Um, they did that. Uh, the Cardinals suck. The Titans suck. I mean, I don't know. My man, I really hate that the Titans year. just didn't look good because Tana, they overpaid Tannehill for a contract they shouldn't have. Yeah, I'd have never paid that dude that much money. Fucking Will Levis. Will... I took anybody over a receiver turn quarterback. Man, that was I, I never liked Tannehill, to I be honest either. with you. I've never been a fan. And um, I, I even thought when Malik Miller got there, I was like, dude, you're not going to fucking make it. Willis? Yeah, Malik Willis. Willis, not Miller. Um, Again, for the same reason, he's good mobile. He's a dual-threat quarterback. He doesn't have the ability to drop back and throw the ball like you need no, to have. I think to Will Levis would be a good one for Tennessee. I don't. I but think, I think uh, their O-line was shit this year. One of them started not just because he's a hometown guy, but Ben yeah, not being like, there was a like big thing. Ben. Uh, yeah, I thought that was very shitty. I thought it was And uh, I think that affected Derrick Henry, too, because him and Ben were very close. Maybe. Maybe. I don't doubt But that. I don't look for Derrick Henry to stay. I don't either. I think Derrick's on the downside of his career. I think if he gets in the right system, if he gets in a system that can protect him, I think he might have two or three years left. But Kansas City is hurting this year because they don't have the receivers. Travis Kelsey's great. No doubt. But he can't do it by himself. Losing Tyreek Hill hurts more than what Kansas City wants to admit. Oh, 100%. You look 100%. what he's doing. Because when – uh, Jalen Waddle's not a bad receiver, and I forget uh-huh. the other one that uh, is down there in Miami. Cedric Wilson Jr. And their tight end's really good, but Jacecki left. Did he? Mm-hmm. He plays for New England now. But when you t- when when Tyreek's out, you can fucking that's the best receiver in the game. That's right a now. Sa- that, that's a safety blanket that hurts when he's not there. Very much so. He's a guy. God, man. he's so fucking fast. He'll man. bail you out of so many situations. Who the hell do you know takes quick slants and turns them into 30 and 40 yards because he's just that much faster than the guy that was there or the Absolutely. rest of the defense? I saw a meme a couple of years ago that really summed it up, and it was Patrick Mahomes. You know, He had three or four guys in his face. He was on his back foot just throwing it up, and it said, fuck it, Tyreek's down there somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just throw it up somewhere, man. Um Man, C.J. Stroud really surprised me this year, taking the Texans to the fucking playoffs. And I'm going to have to admit, and if he ever listens to the podcast, I'm going to have to admit to David Beck that I was wrong. I said that uh, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud would both be fucking flops. I said there was no real talent coming out of quarterback. And one year doesn't, doesn't, doesn't necessarily prove me right. Yeah. But where C.J. Stroud really surprised me was passing ability. Mm-hmm. He proved he could throw the ball better than I thought he would. I, you know, I wasn't necessarily surprised to see him have a successful year. Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, those guys have shown that mo- – Justin Fields have shown that mobile quarterbacks can have a good year or two. But once defenses adjust to that and they learn to contain you in the pocket, yeah, can you stand back there and throw for 250 to 300 yards a week? Can you put the offense on your back? 
and hit the windows that you need to hit the over the linebacker under the safety. Yeah, and that's where the windows. NFL is way different from college. That's like, why mobile quarterbacks don't make it because that shit, that running around shit, only works for so long. The only reason Cam did as well as he did is because he was just big as hell. Hey, Cam could throw the ball. Oh, well, he could though. But I'm just in a saying, weak division. You had Drew Brees. You always had to compete with. Other than that, you had a streaky Atlanta Falcons team. Yeah. And you had a Tampa Bay team that wasn't threatening nobody on any given year, ever. Until Brady got there. Until Brady got there. Right. I really think Brady leaving New England, I'm not knocking Bill Belichick. I think he's a good coach. But I think it's really showing that maybe having one of the best to ever play Helps had a, little. a lot Helps to a little do bit. with the success y'all had. So. I mean, this dude, oh, and I, I, no he turned was, fucking quarterbacks into fucking great Julian Edelman. Are you fucking kidding me? Wes Welker and yeah, all them guys. He turned I don't them guys. That. I think I think Belichick's still a solid coach, man. I think <clears throat> no, that, I'm not. I'm go. not saying he's not a good quarterback, but seeing Brady go away, I say you have the greatest quarterback of all time. And for those listeners out there who are fucking Tom Brady dick suckers, I'm not saying Grady. Brady wasn't a great quarterback. But if you go back and break his stats down, man, I had this argument with a guy a couple of years ago, the year that actually Tampa Bay made the Super Bowl. Oh, his, his, his the defense won that year. When you talk about passes of more than 20 yards downfield, Brady couldn't do it, man. Brady could never do it. You take his 08 season out of his out of his career stats when he had Moss. I was about to say, when he had Moss, yeah, he had some deep ones. That dude could not throw the ball over 15, 20 yards down the field with any kind of regular success. I, I, I mean, especially considering the fact that you guys had like – you know, he had guys like Aaron Hernandez and Gronk catching the ball. There's no reason you can't hit seams yeah. and deep passes, man. Even Edelman was a deep, was a great deep guy. Yeah, he couldn't do it. Now, when it come to clutch time, when it come to performing under pressure, yeah, that's where he I had ice running through his veins. That's where I believe Brady was greatest of all time. But then again, you look at times when in the crunch time he choked, like the Super Bowl against New York. Both yeah. times the Giants beat him, he had the ball with more than a minute to play and a chance to go tie the game, and he couldn't get it done. Yeah, you know the second time, not the not the uh, Tyreek helmet catch, but the second time New York beat New England in the Super Bowl. I don't know if you remember. I think it was Brandon Jacobs going in for a last minute touchdown, yeah. and he kind of halfway like sits down. He forgets he's supposed to sit down on like the one yard line and run the clock out. And he fails to do so. He falls. That's an Auburn guy, by the way. <laughs> Slide that in there. Yeah. He falls into the end zone, therefore giving Brady like a minute and some change on the clock to work with, yeah, and he couldn't get do it done. That. Yeah. And he couldn't get it done. Brady yeah. couldn't get it done either time. Um, now, the, the the Philadelphia Super Bowl where they'd pull off the Philly special, I think they were down. He didn't get the ball, but with some seconds to go. Or that might have even ended the game. He didn't have a lot of time to respond, but – I still don't take away from, you know, six Super Bowl speaks for itself, man. You can't. Yeah, it's impressive. You know, Regardless of how many years he played and shit, too. But, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a hell of an accomplishment. I think his years played speaks for itself. You played for 20. You played into your 40s at a high level. A Super Bowl winning competitive level speaks yeah. for itself. I think, again, his play style contributed to that. If you're not throwing the ball more than 20 yards downfield, yeah. 80% of your career – Makes it a little easier on the body. Oh, yeah. 
Who who was your favorite quarterback of all time? <sighs> Shit. You know, as crazy as it is, as much of a sports fanatic as I am, I've never been asked that question. Um, well, I'll give you mine and let you think. Brett Favre was mine. Really? I was a Brett Favre fan. Really? I love the gunslinger, man. Most touchdowns and most interceptions of all time. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, out of any, and one thing that always impressed me about him was I've never heard any other quarterback like be uh, talked about the way he was with receivers. They were like, hell yeah, I get to play with Brett Favre, and everybody's just like telling me, be careful. Never heard everybody be like, I had to get used to fucking catching his ball. It fucking hurts. Yeah. Now, I've never heard anybody else be talked about like that. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. Um, but being, I don't know. I, it was just at the time, back then, when I was younger, had the little Packers starter jacket and shit, you know. <laughs> I was a Cowboys guy. He I was, was America's a, team, man. Yeah, like, I don't know how I was never a Cowboys guy either. I, I, don't, I don't know why. Aikman like, and Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin. Man, I was, I was a Cowboys guy. Man, and I'll let you think a little bit more on your quarterback choice. Michael Irvin said something not long ago that really fucking – it just made a lot of sense. It just – you know how so many people have their fucking jersey retired? Mm -hmm. He's like, I don't want mine retired. He said, I want them kids to wear my number. He said, uh, what's his name? CeeDee Lamb? Mm -hmm. Where's his number now? Mm -hmm. He's like, so every time that kid misses that ball with my jersey, they go, Michael Irvin would have caught that. When well, he does catch it, they're like – Oh, he caught, he just he looked like Michael he looked Irvin. like Michael Irvin. He said, "I get my flowers every day when he wears that jersey." Now, I was reason, like, you know, that's a pretty good way to look at it. The reason I look at Michael Irvin as the second best receiver of all time is because Michael Irvin changed the game. Who's the first, Jerry, Jerry or Randy? Rice. Jerry Rice, okay. absolutely, Jerry Rice. Randy Moss is the perfect mix of Jerry Rice and Michael Irvin. Um, That's a pretty good statement. You're welcome. I like that. So, and and on the field, statistically, Randy's a better receiver. I say Randy Moss is number two. The reason I say Michael's number two, Michael Irvin literally changed the rule books in the NFL. Mm -hmm. The referees and the NFL Commissioner's League, uh, Paul Tagliabue, I believe it was at the time, had to literally step back and say, wait a minute. We cannot continue to allow this guy – to physically dominate DBs like he is. Other than Deion Sanders, who was his, – his methods were questionable. Yeah. Nobody could cover this guy. His speed, his size, his physicality. He was making a joke of NFL DBs. Do you think Deion's the best DB to ever play? Absolutely. No question about it. Night train lanes. Got the, got, got, you think he's better than Woodson? Absolutely. No question about it. Run support be damned. Covering a receiver, he was toying with those guys, man, in the 90s. Other than Michael Irvin, it was, can I trick the quarterback into throwing the ball my way? Or Jerry Rice. I believe he could, he could cover Rice just fine. They had some good ones, man. They did, but Rice was on was in the twilight of his career at the time. True. You know, Dion didn't come along till 91, 92. You know, Rice has been doing it since like 81. Dion's a special <clears throat> special athlete for sure. No doubt, man. Dion had the ability. I mean, it was literally lit, I know you know I said it, but it's it, he was literally can I trick the quarterback into throwing the ball my way? Otherwise, I won't have a chance. You know, that they they talk about shutdown corners that this day and age, you mm -hmm. know, then that started with the Daryl Revis and the Revis Island thing. <clears throat> 
But they, they talk about a receiver cutting off – I mean, a cornerback cutting off half the field to a quarterback. Hey, don't even look that way. That started with Deion Sanders. Yeah. You know, Dick Knight train lanes, got the record for most recept, you know, interceptions in a, in, a, in a season and all that. That's because they wouldn't throw the ball at Deion more. If they would have tried him more often, it would have happened more often. His closing speed is the greatest of all time. His ability to bait a quarterback into thinking the guy's open by giving that guy a step and then making the step up. Yeah. Unrivaled. Are we ever going to see another athlete play a football game, fly out, and then play a baseball game? No way. You know? Unless Otani learns to play fucking safety, it's not <laughs> fucking happening, man. <laughs> yeah, he's special, man. Uh, Otani is a special athlete, man. But like I said, it's not. <clears throat> you know, you've got Jerry Rice, who, if he plays at the same time as Raw, as, as Moss and Irvin, he's probably not the greatest receiver of all time. But for the same reason that I'm going to go ahead and make a decision and say Montana is the greatest quarterback of all time, I'm going to say Rice is the greatest receiver of all time. And to see them play on the same team speaks for itself. Oh, yeah. Their ability to do what they did to other teams, man, just their I'm not going to lose mentality. I don't think it happens in any other era than where they're at. I think if they're 10 years later Mm -hmm. or 10 years earlier, it doesn't happen. But coupled with Bill Walsh and the West Coast offense, man, they definitely came along at the right time. Yeah. Rice's work ethic and speed was unmatched. But it's not that it's never been done again. Tyreek Hill did it. But if Tyreek Hill would have existed 30 years ago, you'd be looking at the same thing. Montana's consistency in winning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brady won six Super Bowls, but he went to like nine. He lost, That means he lost three. Yeah, I don't believe Montana would have ever lost three. If he'd played long enough, stayed there long enough. If if Montana plays the same games day for day that Brady plays, who's your best running back of all time? Stop. Um, <clears throat> all around running back, probably Adrian Peterson. Power, speed between the tackles, outside the tackles, catch the ball out of the backfield, the whole nine. Adrian Peterson. Um. Emmett Smith is up there, obviously, because of stats. He's the you know all-time leading rusher and shit. And what I believe made Emmett was special. Was he wouldn't be the, the all-time rushing leader if Barry Sanders wouldn't have retired early. No doubt, ain't no doubt about it, bro. You said the right thing right there. I think Barry his, Sanders is my all-time. You know, it's crazy that Detroit has produced two of the could have been greatest players of all time at their position because Calvin Johnson's another one. If, if, if he plays another five years, he goes down as the greatest receiver of all time. I believe Calvin Johnson was a better version of Randy Moss. He was bigger. He was great. He was just as fast, and he was more physical. He said he couldn't take it, though, man, all the wear and tear on the body and, like, no, pushing a shot, pushing peels on him, like, oh, you're going to play. Take this. Get out there. Me. I don't. I think Megatron – I think him and Barry Sanders both made the right call because their best-case scenario is to get traded to a contender when they're stuck in contracts in, a, in Detroit when they're never going to win anything. Why not play your 10 years and get the fuck and out well, of And, well, Barry was the type that he was a very loyal guy, and once people started getting traded and everything, he just sat down and looked at it and was like – not going to get a Super Bowl here, and no, I'm done. No, and it's even been documented that Barry Sanders had the chance to break records and chose to sit on the bench when he was already on the bench. The coach would come to him, "Hey, Barry, you got a chance to break this record. You want to go back in this man's game?" Whereas Emmett Smith 
played way longer than he probably should have. Absolutely. And he stayed in games longer just for those stats. And I'm taking nothing away from him. You no know, doubt. He's still a great running back. No doubt. And if you, know. if you go back and look at Emmett Smith, man, well, I believe what set Emmett Smith apart from other running backs was Emmett's ability to make people miss in close quarters. Yes. I 100% you put that agree. guy in a vacuum. You put him in a bottle with one guy, he's going to find a way to make him miss. Yeah. You know, you, you don't – it's just not every day you find a guy that you run in the A gap, and there's a linebacker waiting on you in the A gap. Yeah. You don't. You, your choices are to run him over or get tackled. Emmett made found a way to make that guy miss. Yeah, I one hundred percent agree. Absolutely elite with that ability. But as far as speed, didn't have it. As far as trucking ability, didn't have it. Pass blocking, catching the ball out of the backfield, the intangibles, didn't necessarily have it. He 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 had great vision. He was very good at finding a hole. Other than finding the hole and making the guy miss in the hole, and longevity is what made great is made, is what made Emmett Smith statistically greatest back of all time. Yeah, Walter Payton's speed alone and elusiveness put him in the conversation, but yeah. Walter Payton wasn't running any, anybody over. On the same note, Earl Campbell, he was running everybody over. Yeah, wasn't making anybody miss. Um, which is why I say that. Um, you know, I can't take Barry out of the conversation for greatest of all time, but he didn't do it long enough. Yeah. So other than that, man, you've had guys that have showed flash in the pan. Uh, CJ2K, Chris Johnson, I believe could have been one of the best of all time, but he couldn't do it between the tackles. He was getting beat up too much. You know, I think AP is the definition of best all around back of all time. He could yeah, do it he was b- good. between the tackles, outside the tackles, out of the backfield, blocking for the quarterback. Which is saying something because I fucking hate Oklahoma. Dude, their their bowl game against um, Boise State, I will never forget. Love it, fucking never love it. forget. And I remember watching it. <clears throat> they went to overtime after they done the whole. Um, what was it they done the? The Statue of Liberty play? No, it wasn't the Statue of Liberty. It was the other one where they throw it to the receiver and he throws it to another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, yeah. Anyway, they do that. They get the overtime. Oklahoma gets the ball. Fucking first snap. AP runs that bitch in there. I was like, shit. All right, Cinderella. It's over with. You know, that shoe don't fit no more. (laughs) Then they get the damn ball. They score. Go for two. Statue of Liberty. The dude runs the game, runs in there, wins the fucking game. Ian then, Johnson. The, yeah, Ian Johnson. Then he uh, proposes. proposes to his girlfriend. I was like, dude, I'll never forget this shit the day of my life. One of the greatest victories of all time. Yeah. Ever. As an Auburn fan, to say that a Boise State victory is one of the greatest of all time. It is. It says something in my it, You know, it ain't a kick six, but, you know, it's great. <laughs> I love that little And I don't give a shit what anybody says. Bama beat us this year, and everybody's like, oh, you can kiss your kick six goodbye. No. There's been many a last minute throws in the end zone wins. There's not but one fucking missed kick a six. field goal and won the fucking game. It's just like the punt by my punt game. It will never be forgotten. You say what you want, it will never be forgotten. Yeah. But you know, it's it seems like all the greatest moments in Iron Bowl history are underdogs, you know, making it happen over the better you know, what's what seems to be the David versus Goliath moment. The few moments that Alabama has <clears throat> they're never the underdog. 
you know that yeah. that play. Uh, what are they calling it? The uh, shit. I forgot the the. I forget what people are calling that play, but that play, the play back in '08 when uh, John Parker Wilson, I think, hits the rollout. Uh, How the fuck we didn't stop that? Because that was their go-to play every, every time down there in the fucking end zone. Coming, I know. Roll out uh, to the fucking tight end every I fucking know, time. Every fucking time. Fake the handoff. There he is, right there every time. I, know. I, I man, I was so mad. I knew when that when it was happening. I said, "Here it comes, here it comes," <laughs> and could not stop it. I do, I do not I do not get it. I know. I know, man. Um, as an Auburn fan, I'm used to a lifetime of frustration. Uh, me too. But I was uh, on the cusp. I really do believe Hugh Freeze has got something cooking, though. I'm glad he know, fired man. Philip was, Montgomery. I don't know. I was. I haven't been a Hugh Freeze advocate since I saw how the guys when he got hired at Ole Miss. You know, they were talking about all the players playing for Hugh because he was a players' coach. Yeah. And they turned out to be shit. Yeah. I, I've just. I've lost. He's kind of like Tuberville to me. He can be a good coach, but he can't win the big game. He can't. He can't get it done when it matters. You know, I, and and I, I hope he does. I hope to God he does. Well, I mean, and you got to look at it too, man. As much as it pains me to say, our rival every year is against the best fucking coach in college football. No doubt. Every year. No doubt. So the fact that we've won the amount we have since Nick's been there is a fucking miracle. <laughs> I mean, it really is, you know. And everybody knocked Gus, and I was one of them too. I just got tired of his same old song and dance, but fuck, he pulled it out more than a few times. My so. big knock on Gus was offensively, he's one of the greatest minds of our generation. Gus Malzahn has proved his his efficiency on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. How you can't get it done on offense blew my mind. Yeah, You know, I would have understood more if we'd have been a 40-point-a-game team and other teams were outscoring us because Malzahn was an offensive guy. He was an offensive coordinator when he got hired. He was an offensive mind. An offensive genius, I'll go as far as to say. Dude, that, that 2013 loss to Florida State hurt. hurt. Really bad. Like that Trey was, Mason, lay the fuck down instead of getting that last touchdown. That lay game, down. That game was the game that taught me not to take it so seriously. Until then, I was that type of guy you, that would you know, go out in the backyard and fight about a fucking college football game until that game. I would say that's probably the one that got me too because I watched it at Jeff's house. The reason why, because I watched the the year we won it with Cam when we beat Oregon. I no watched doubt. it up there. So, you know, superstitious thing. I'm like, coming up there and wearing the same fucking outfit, whatever. No doubt. So, I go up there, and we lost that, and I was like, all right, dude, I'm out. The road home, didn't even play the fucking radio. That shit sat with me for probably two weeks. And until you said that, didn't really sink in, but after that, it's never... Like, before that, if Auburn lost a football game that weekend, I'm not fucking doing nothing. I'm sitting in the house. I don't want to do nothing to ruin my whole fucking weekend. Yeah. Now, mm. like, when we yeah. watched the Iron Bowl over here this year, Whitney was sick, and DJ called him. I was like, yeah, man, you can come over here, but I don't want a crowd because she don't feel good. So, me and him sat there and watched it, and he's like, man, we got this fucking game. And then Alabama got the ball. I said, dude, I'll never count Nick Saban out. Never. I just had that feeling. And then as soon as he threw that ball and dude caught it, I told you, and he was pissed. And, I mean, I was hurt, but I was like, you know what? 
It's just a game. But it's just a game, and I didn't <clears throat> expect us to do anything this year anyway. I was kind of that way. I was at my mother's house. My my mom's an Auburn fan. My family's Auburn fans. Well, no. some, some of my family's Auburn fans. But Donald was at the house, and Donald is diehard Alabama. Me and Donald used to get into some hard Knockdown dragouts. I won't say that, man. Me and Donald have always been pretty level-headed, but I'm going to call it heated debates about yeah. some Alabama-Auburn football. He was at the house for that game, and he was like – and he had kind of accepted it, man, going into the fourth and 26 or whatever. He was he, he had kind of accepted. They lost. Not a big deal. He had, his, he had his girlfriend at the house at the time, man, and he was telling her because they were getting ready to go to his parents' house for Thanksgiving dinner, and his dad is one of those Alabama fans that you fear. You don't want to talk to them because they got no reasonable, no rational thought process about them when it comes to Alabama football. So he's roll tide blitz, Bama blitz. Right. He's he's absolutely the referee screwed us. Every excuse in the oh, book. Jesus he can't have a conversation without saying. Now, there was tie. some pretty shitty calls on both sides in that fucking game. Though. Honestly, man, I thought they let them play pretty good. I thought there was a pretty even level of shitty calls to both yeah, sides. Yeah, I, agree I don't think the, I don't think the referees dictated the outcome of that game. No, I they think Bama know. just beat us when it come down to it and they had to make a play. They did. We didn't. Agreed. But Donald was telling his new girlfriend at the time, like, she was going to meet He's his... got a new girlfriend now? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, then. So, like, I believe it was her first time to meet his parents. And he was explaining to her, like, listen... Don't fucking bring it up. <laughs> Don't talk about this game. Do your best. He's there. He said it's going to be. Just a, go, hey, sir, how you doing? I really don't watch football. That's it. He was like, man, it's going to be a somber mood at the house. It's going to feel like somebody fucking died. Eat your fucking food. Nod your head. <laughs> and go home. Let's go, and go home. home. Don't start that up. Right. Don't, even bring the, don't even bring football up if he don't mention it. <clears throat> and even then, I told him, I said, man, I just. Just chill the fuck out. Y'all got another play. I got a bad feeling about this shit. Just watch this. Yeah. And they threw the touchdown, and I wasn't fucking... I remember, man, when Florida State beat us, when when Winston threw that fucking touchdown, like, I might have been emotional enough to fucking cry. It was bad, dude, because... That season to me was more special than the year Cam was. was there. It was nobody expected us to do anything, and we shouldn't have. Man, we had a fucking converted quarterback at running back. We were running the read option, and that dude couldn't read a fucking re-option. You know, read option. None of that shit made sense. But we had an offensive line from Hales. What all it right, was? We had a shit team, and we made it happen. The fucking miracle on the plains will never be duplicated. Yeah, Ricardo Lewis. Thank you. <sighs> Jeez. Thank you to those two fucking Georgia defenders who got it in, in each other's way and tipped Also, the one one of those actually come to Auburn that very next year and played DB for us. So, I just remember not feeling anything like that feeling after this year's Iron Bowl. I mean, it hurt, it, you know. But I remember thinking, it's, it's a fucking game, man. It is what yeah, it is. Yeah, and it, it is. And I don't know if getting older and having kids has anything to do with it either, but it just doesn't mean the same anymore to me. Maybe now, and like even before that, like watching watching the UFC though, like if it was somebody I really liked, like I'd be fucking getting jittery over here when somebody's getting hit or rocked. I'm like, oh shit, and that doesn't even happen anymore. I don't I don't know what it is. Last fight I took like that, and it wasn't because I was a Frank Mir fan. It was because I hated Brock Lesnar. 
he made it do his face look like him. Oh, I was so mad about that shit. I think I watched that game at like Hooters or some shit in Tuscaloosa. I was so fucking mad about that fight. The last fight I got like that was Cowboy and Connor. Cowboy is one of my favorites to ever do it, but Cowboy was always fucking great. And when he got to that big fight, he fucking choked. Connor was my. I will and say Connor, was, Connor was. Connor just come out relentless and just Connor knew. A motherfucker, man. I could get him in the first round. Connor I know was I knew. a motherfucker. He was. He really was, and I really hate that he's. I mean, hell, I don't know what I'd do if I was worth hundreds of millions of dollars either. But that's fair. I miss what he originally was. I do too, man. The fight he broke his leg. The dude was sold a fucking weigh-in out. <laughs> <laughs> had people from Ireland come to fucking Vegas, oh, sold it out, and they're out there screaming, there's only one. <laughs> You're never going to see that again in MMA, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, you go back and think about it. Chuck was fucking big. Big. Anderson Silva was big. GSP was big. Chuck was probably my second heartbreaking loss. All those guys didn't do what Connor did. No doubt. Connor did it, man. Connor was a big. He was big, and that was you that, that was Chuck after lost to Rampage. Yeah, that's. I was right. happy. That I was right. a Rampage guy. I was not. I did not like. Rampage. I liked Chuck. I hated Tito. I didn't like Rampage. I was a big Chuck guy, man. He was my. He was my Shawn Michaels of the UFC, man. He was fucking GSP is my Shawn Michaels. But he lost to fucking Matt Sarah. GSP, but he came back and fucking got his ass. But GSP is probably, in my opinion, now for a non-educated UFC guy, probably the greatest UFC fighter pound for pound in history. I I would I want to agree. I mean, John Jones is the goat. Bones is the. Exception. I mean, he is he the fucking the goat, but. Like when statistically, and when you look at it, Jones is the goat. But for me, GSP is on is my Mount Rushmore. Right. Because GSP, absolutely. Every time I would watch one of his fights, I was thinking, man, this dude fucking scares me. I don't know, he might get George. George would beat these dudes at their own game, no doubt. The only people he didn't do that to was Jake Shields, which you don't go to the ground with Jake Shields. He beat Damian Maya, who's one of the best jujitsu guys ever yeah. in the welterweight division. Yeah. Then. He didn't go to the ground with Nick Diaz either, which very smart. But anybody else, the man, guy, you know, it's it's like he wasn't the greatest at any one thing. But he like was you all said, around, he was good. all around fighter. Man, he could go to the ground. He could stand up with you. He could throw. He could clinch. He could he could he could submission. He was everything. Man. Work ethic will beat talent every time. No doubt. And GSP had it. GSP yes. absolutely had it. Other than other than the Gracie family. I associate GSP with all-around MMA fighting. Oh, yeah. More than any other name. Yes. Well, man, let's start winding this thing down because I still got laundry to finish up today, too. No, I'm, I'm sure say, you got some stuff you need to finish up before we go to work. fucking hours. Got to be going on the record for the longest podcast you've done. Uh, I think it's tied. I think I got one just like this. But, man, it was awesome because it was conversation kept rolling there wasn't yeah. no stumbles over so i'd love to have you back and do it again Absolutely. and uh, i was gonna say the crazy thing is after two and a half hours we've still got plenty of shit to talk about yeah and that's what i've told everybody that asked like come do it and they're like how the fuck do you sit there for two hours you don't realize how fast this shit goes by dude, when you're doing it another, man. but time rolls by. i really look forward to getting four people on here because i got enough to do a round table and it would be great to be able to do that all of us have some drinks 
Maybe watch a fucking fight while we're doing it. Who? No shit. You know, I okay. almost put the red zone on while I was here. I don't know if you've ever watched red zone. Yeah, I know. But, but that would have been a hell of a topic. I'm telling you, man, we get DJ and somebody else over here. We could have a I tried to get DJ to come today. I said, uh, he, I said, what you doing today? He's on the phone with Whitney. Not shit. And I was like, come over here and jump on the podcast with me and Parker, man. I'm not ready for it yet. It, oh, that's one of those, that res- that's one he of the responses I get all the time. And I'm just like, dude. It's normal conversation. It's just that's recorded. It, you got a set of headphones on, and you're just talking to another buddy like y'all were that, talking. That's all it is, man. And uh, I just really fucking enjoy doing it, man. It's it's fun to me. It's, it's, it's and a it's fun to experience, f- man. It's just, This is definitely something I'm going to check off the bucket list. I'm proud to say I've done a podcast. I wasn't afraid to come on and, you know, do something that other people were going to hear. I wasn't intimidated to be on a public forum it's just something I've never done before. And this yeah. is this has definitely been something I can say I'm glad I participated in and we'll definitely be back. Oh yeah, we're definitely gonna do it again. And then and plenty of people's like, What do I talk about? Trust me. And we'll I think you out. can look at it. <laughs> I know, I can pull something out. Like, we'll figure it out. But yeah, man, thanks for coming on the show. It's been awesome and we'll do it again. Me, you and DJ and we'll figure out a fourth, consider I'm talking about fucking prison stories for two fucking hours. <laughs> hey, I'll sit here and listen and just question y'all. I'll be it'll Why be like sixty that? minutes. I'm gonna be up here just okay, so what happened next after the door opened? <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, man. All right, so we're gonna end this on a high note. I appreciate the whiskey. It was awesome, man. No let's doubt. let's do it again, but let's get off here and get ready to go back no to doubt. the J O B in the morning. For those listeners out there who may be uh hung up on watching the next episode we will definitely come back and talk about what life's really like in prison. So uh, I know you don't want to miss that, so stay tuned. Yeah, and DJ, we got to get you here.